It's the 23rd of June. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And coming up on the show today, we're going to talk about the Nintendo Direct and do an extensive uh, insight into the 21st of June uh, showing. We're going to be talking about Disney losing nearly 95% of its classic animation material. Elemental underperforms at the box office on opening weekend. Disney releases an animated feature on the European champion Linuses. Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas uh, go into an emergency meeting with David Zaslav over the future of Turner Classic Movies. Uh, we're going to be going over the voice cast of Tiny Toons Luniversity. Round two of the Cartoon Network Super Showdown is also on the show. There's going to be several international channels who are rebranding to Nickelodeon. The top 100 video games, according to Empire, we go through the top 10 of those things. We're going to be giving you a preview of the next episode of Dream Machine, where we cover Puss and Boost The Last Wish. And finally, Nintendo shareholder disrupts an entire shareholder meeting to go on a rant about Splatoon. And then we're going to go into our spoiler section where we're going to be covering the season one finale of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. You are listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 23rd of June of 2023. Okay, so everybody, we're doing another early episode because uh, my beautiful fiance over here is going to be flying back to the US on Sunday. So we thought, let's do one more you know, live episode. Actually, we're going to do a number of podcasts actually before you leave. So yes, we uh, are. We're going to, basically, we've just gone for like, you know, a couple of days of, you know, going through London, scorching heat and. Uh, goodness, our legs and like our bodies are just need healing right now. So I think, yeah, this is one of the very few times we're actually are very happy to actually sit down, have nothing happen except you know our voices and basically those are the things that basically we're gonna break. <laughs> and everything that's on our bodies right now. But just to be all serious though, but, you know, we had a really wonderful time in London. We did. Know? We saw everything. We saw, uh, you know, the Tower of London. We even saw Tower Bridge. We've uh, seen, you know, various, you know, other things as well. We even we, saw, we, the, we saw the monuments. I tried to get Patricia to go up the London Eye three times, but she just doesn't want to do it. I cannot. I'm. You know how terrified of heights I am. I know. It's like you know. I, I'm going to be saying to everybody, look, if you uh, find uh, Patricia on Twitter, I want you to next time, you know, urge her to go up the London Eye and tell her exactly where it is as well. Like you know, I want people to encourage her to do that. And maybe one day when she finally, you know, we go back to London, you know, who knows, maybe years down the line, you know, she will finally conquer a fear of heights. But, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. and not only that, we also saw Buckingham Palace, we went to see Big Ben, we went to the Charles Dickens Museum, uh, we went... The Charles Dickens Museum is amazing, actually. It is, the actually. The fact that it was his own house, and uh, they kept it in the, you know, such a splendid way, and also the, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, you sort of heard about, like, you know, the pea soup, uh, he described it as, and, like, you know, the horrendous, you know, conditions that, you know, London were on at the time. Uh, it was just uh, that was uh, quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So if you've ever read a lot of uh, Charles Dickens books, such as uh, Oliver Twist or Tale of Two Cities, Nicholas Nickleby, David Copperfield, A Christmas Carol, they always described about how uh, thick that the air was due to all the pollution from all the factories. And he was going through that at the time. And you know, a lot of people back then were very sick from it. Even his own brother. And they, they even thought that smoke was even actually you know uh, helping with things when in actual fact it wasn't. No. Like, it was actually making yeah. things worse so like you know we, we actually we actually smelled it yeah. We did, and I got to be honest with you. If uh, that was if that was me in that in that city, I would not be staying there for a very you know. I was hoping like you get me out of there, you know. Like <laughs> that's just horrendous. I can't believe people lived in those conditions. It's yeah, terrible. It was awful. Yeah, so the people who basically keep you know uh, mobile phones close to our genitals, but you know, like uh, <laughs> it just it's uh, I know, but you know, we've, humanity's got a lot to learn, hasn't it? You know, all the things that's you know are pretty terrible, but uh, you know, but all seriousness, you know, we're in this. Like you know, we had a really great time. 
I want to say thank you to our hotel over at the Abbey Point. I think uh, they were you know really wonderful in accepting us as you know as guests, and mm-hmm. uh, you know and I hope that everyone there is having a really good time. So uh, and also um, just to let you guys know, we're, there's actually going to be a very special episode. Would you believe the Roll Doll retrospective? Because we also dropped by Great Mizzard as well. Yes, we and did. So, well, we're going to be telling you about all the, well, that. We had such an experience there. Well, I said to Patricia, we have to do an episode. Yes. Seriously. Yeah, I, I know that technically we do episodes of the Roll Doll retrospective whenever a new movie's coming out, and we already know that this year we're going to have three. I mean, well, no, two. The third one is still up for up in the air right now. I don't know what Netflix is doing, but anyway. But yeah, we needed to do an episode of the Roll Doll retrospective on our experiences alone. So that will be coming out pretty soon. Cool. Our top story. We have finally seen the Nintendo Direct. It did come out on the 21st of June, but obviously, uh, as we said before, we were in London, so we didn't get a chance to uh, see it off the bat. But my goodness, uh, you know, Nintendo just, you know, they, they can't slow down. They have absolutely everything going for it right now. And uh, especially with uh, Super Mario Brothers Forever, which is now going to be, you know, sorry, Wonder, I should yeah, say. Yeah, Wonder. Is forever? What do you call it, Forever? Yeah, uh, Wonder. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. Imagine if Super Mario Brothers did, like, Super Mario Brothers Forever, in which it took, like, 15 years years to do and it was like cancelled and redone every single time because Miyamoto wanted to do a new gimmick. Yeah, I have to apologize there. I did not mean to dismerge it in that way but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, oh, we can say that's, you know, so, I mean, before we actually get into uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, Wonder. Wonder, I think uh, let's just start off with uh, the first bit. So, the first bit that we were talking about uh, at the very beginning was uh, the, the downloadable stuff for Pokemon. Yes. Uh, which is that. I've got to be honest with everybody, like, you know, I've yet to I mean, Pokemon isn't really my thing. You know, like in regards to the games and everything like that. So, right. like, I see, you know, my last game I played with Pokemon was Pokemon Go. So, um, that's how far you know down the down the road I am from you know going up with the latest Pokemon stuff. But I mean, like uh, the latest um, you know Pokemon downloadable content looks interesting. One thing I did notice on that is that uh, I'm noticing that the uh, the Nintendo you know you know the characters that they now use like you know that are based somewhat on anime. You know, I'm starting to notice they are starting to get more like you know Western features. So yes. uh, I think they are aware now and also I know that Western animators and like Western designers have been working on the latest Pokemon game but I think there's also an inclination that they realize that America and Europe are one of their biggest markets when it comes to Pokemon absolutely and so I think they are now looking like they're trying to aim it towards like that it's like it reminds me of like when uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was uh, chained up to have like you know an attitude rather than like you know looking like you know a, a, you know a Japanese character he was basically he was given like you know uh, you know the, the attitude character persona as we all know him for now in it, you know, and it works with American audiences. I get, I get the feeling that you know, I think Nintendo uh, are aware that you know that it's not just about you know, oh, if Japan likes it, everyone else will like it. And I think they are aware now that uh, there's. Um there's an American audience, there's a European audience out there, and like, there's various other audiences out there in the world. And uh, just because you know it's uh, happy with them and happy with like you know their major fans over in the in uh, over in the land of the rising sun, I think they are aware that uh, you know the, 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 this this is a thing. Absolutely, so. I mean it, it's always been that way since a Generation Five, in which Japan was basically the influence for a lot of the Pokemon games. I mean the first four generations of the regions of Pokemon took place 
in an area inspired by a section in Japan. But starting off with Generation 5 with black and white, they were inspired by New York City. And then Generation 6, they were inspired by France. Generation 7, they were inspired by... Um, I think it was Hawaii. And then Generation 8, I think it was um, Spain or something. Yeah, i got to be honest with you. I think they're going to run out of things to get inspired by, I think, with Pokemon. Good, great, Viking. I remember the jokes they like, say, you know, oh, the next thing we're going to do is go for God. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've done that too. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, though, we go for God. Nope, we already got him. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but yeah. Um, So let me just tell you about the expansions that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are going to be receiving. So Pokemon uh, Scarlet and Violet are going to be receiving two parts of DLC, the Teal Mask and the Indigo Disc. The Teal Mask is going to be involving with a large uh, celebration that's going to be happening in the countryside. And then the Indigo Disc is going to be featuring that you're going to be going into an academy right in the middle of the ocean. So the Teal Mask is going to be coming out this fall and the indigo disc is going to be coming out this winter in addition to that there'll also be dlc and other special bonuses exclusive to either pokemon scarlet or pokemon violet depending on which one that you have so that was the first major announcement so uh, I'm just looking at the Verge at the minute because uh, they picked out five uh, announcements that uh, they said they thought were the biggest announcements. So obviously Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which we'll talk about later on in the, yes. sh- in the show. That so uh, that was one of their big. Uh, interestingly enough, they said that uh, the Super Mario RPG remake was also one of their favorite uh, announcements on there. And my goodness, you know the fact that they started off with like you know the retro you know Super Mario RPG, and then all of a sudden it just goes into like you know the the new graphics and everything like that. That was a great introduction, I thought, to RPG. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it was going to be like. Oh, you know, it's going to be coming out on uh, Virtual Console. Virtual Console, yeah. But then they fool everybody. Like, oh, no, it's a new game. It's like, <laughs> here it is. Yeah, so they basically remade the original 1996 Super Mario RPG from the ground up. And this is interesting because a lot of people have been clamoring for Super Mario RPG sequels for decades. But I'm sure that you guys know that it was a collaboration between Nintendo and Square Enix. And unfortunately, Nintendo were not able to do anything with the Square the the stuff that Square Enix was able to produce, such as like all the additional characters and the worlds that they were able to build into it. And so that's why they decided to separate all of that stuff and go into the Paper Mario stuff. And then eventually the um, the Mario RPG stuff that Atlas had also produced as well. So Yeah, and I guess uh, the payoff is that uh, you know, on Nintendo uh, Switch, there's going to be a lot of like a generic, you know, uh, anime, RP- other RPGs or like, you know, role-playing games or you know, open world games as well. Yeah, that's true. So... We, we did see a fair share of that where they were like, okay, you know, we're we know that farming simulators, we know that JRPGs, we know that open world games are really, really popular right now, and we just saw several of them that just, I mean, one of them you said that There, there were some unique ideas in them, though is that, so one of them was like, you know, you can build your own house, and you can build your own garden, and you can like you, know, you can do everything like that, but I mean, I'm sure some people listening to this show are going to be saying, look, Animal Crossing you know, like, yeah. or that, that kind of thing already exists in a way so, I mean, like, I can understand why, you know, but from my point of view, I can see them taking, you know, Nintendo taking some, like, you know, the best elements of those games and probably incorporating them into, like, a future, you know, uh, Zelda sequel. I can imagine if, you know, if uh, Tears of the Kingdom does really well, that they decide, oh, there's going to be a third game uh, for, uh, for for that, for the Breath of the Wild engine, if you will. So, like, uh, I can understand, I can probably see a lot of what was in those games probably being released by Nintendo, you know, in, a, in another game. Like, they're just saying, oh, well, you know, why would I get these games when I can play them all in the next Zelda game? 
you know. Mm-hmm, it's exactly. like, all I have to do is wait a couple of, maybe like a year, half, a year and a half or like, you know, a couple of months. I mean, like, uh, don't get me wrong, like, uh, you know, I looked at them and I thought they, they are pretty interesting, but to me, like, I don't think, you know, given the fact that we have so much other, like, Nintendo stuff, that, and also on top of that, we have, you know, something else that was also uh, quite surprising to be to be announced, but, you know, because of all these surprise announcements with Nintendo, I can't see some of the other third-party, you know, uh, you know, uh, games are getting a squeeze in, really. Yeah, and that's a major problem with Nintendo games over the years is that their first, their first party stuff is great, but when you go over to the third parties, it becomes very uninspired. It's it's almost like AI generated them, don't you think? Mm. Right. You know, and maybe that'll be the future one day. Like you know, oh well, all this artificial intelligence is going to generate these games, and they're just going to be the same open world. Like you know, build a house, build a farm. You know, like you know, sit in, sit on the sit on a chair and pick your nose. You know, like that, that, that kind of you know what I'm talking about. But you know, like it's just yeah. I mean, there needs to be more inspiration, I think, with these games. Uh, unfortunately, and right now, I, I I don't really. I mean, everything's a fantasy world. Everything's open world. Everything is like you know beyond the realms of your imagination. You know, like it becomes so imaginative it kind of becomes not very imaginative at the same time you know what i mean i get what you're saying yeah if you see the same opening over and over again it's like come over to this magical world explore places you've never been to before and the and games like that open up to that same introduction it becomes pretty derivative yeah as someone like it's kind of rich for us like his 90s kids because obviously we've been introduced to all sorts of fantasy worlds you know whether like they're up in space or whether they're down here on the ground like you know whether in other dimensions and things like that so i mean it is richer of us to like say you know uh, oh well because we've seen so many other fantasy worlds mean that uh, no one else can enjoy them like, that's not what we're saying what we're saying is, is that you know from us us who are like you know have been to Mario World or have been like you know to the you know Sonic the Hedgehog World or been to like you know uh, been to like you know uh, Hyrule you know multiple times you know in different times uh, also as well like you know it's, it's kind of hard to like get excited about a brand new fantasy world when you've seen so many of them in the past like you know the, the, the only thing I can really say that recently is like you know unfortunately I haven't been video games they've been animations you know like you know amphibia and uh, gravity falls and uh, you know uh, the owl house recently like some of those worlds that we've entered into you know actually i wish we were video games in a way that would like, be really know, cool yeah that would be really cool I-, I would love it if we would get an opportunity for us to explore the world of amphibia or even you know explore gravity falls itself and being able to talk to the characters well, you know recently i saw like a mock-up of like a nintendo switch game with the owl house in front of it and I, I, saw just, that I, I just showed it to you and i thought it said to patricia if only you know, i know if only. Okay, another major announcement that was featured well, was... Well, before, I mean, obviously there's like five pair I want to just go through. Oh, yeah, know, go for it. The Verge saying that. I want to see if you agree or disagree with them or not. Uh, one of them was the WarioWare Oh, uh, yeah, game. I yeah. remember when we first saw Wario on the screen, we were like shocked with excitement. Oh, wow, yeah, we're not on a WarioWare game in a long time. It's like, been a while, uh, Yeah, yes. like, you know, WarioWare is fun. Like, you know, I loved WarioWare on the Wii. It was a really fun... Was a, I had a lot of my friends who, who played it with it as well. Like, you had like the game where you had to like, you know, like an elimination game. If you didn't get the mini game, you know, right, obviously you'd fall out of the sky and then you'd be left to whoever is le- left in it. Or there's the one way you have to play the mini games, then you have to like pump the balloon up to like you know until it explodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, the, the, those games were fun. And I was, I was like saying like, oh, I really wish we had these games back. And now we're going to get them back. You know, WarioWare's going to be move. It's going to be back on there. I mean, I don't know how much fun it is going to be playing. Like you know, um, I, if WarioWare was fun when you also when you're playing with other people. I mean, don't get me wrong, there was a really good single game with it as well. But when it was like you know having other people in the room, it was a laugh. 
laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can even see it being demonstrated, like you know, by you know, uh, uh, on you know, the, who are the people hosting the. Oh well, you're talking about the announcers, right? The yeah, presenters, yeah. like uh, Yoshiaki Kuizumi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the one who was actually like doing all the movements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you can see that the, you know the way that they were you know advertising this to everybody is that it's fun with other people around you because then everyone else can react. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was what I felt with WarioWare. I felt that was like the important thing about that was is that you know it was good in a, like in a you know in, in a communal setting if you're whether warrior wears gonna be fun to play on your own i have no idea i hope it's gonna be i i, I hope so too especially since you know uh warrior wear has also been known not only for their games but also for you know their their storylines you know where you have like wario interacting with all the other characters so i'm hoping that they'll be similar as well okay i do apologize everybody i forgot to bring some water bottles up when we first did the podcast so why don't you tell everybody about detective pikachu and uh, then after that okay. i'll look, re-emerge with water bottles yeah sure good okay so yeah detective pikachu returns which is the sequel to detective pikachu that was on the 3ds so for those who don't know detective pikachu focuses on a kid named tim goodman and he has a talking pikachu along with him and they're solving mysteries i believe in the first one it was involving with like the disappearance of tim's dad and they were trying trying to find out where he was. In this game, Detective Pikachu was talking and he was drinking coffee and you were asking and going around the town talking to people and other Pokemon about where the dad was. And I believe in the video game, it left it off on a cliffhanger. And I believe in the movie when they did it, they actually like answer the question about like where the dad was. Um, I have seen the movie actually. Um, Aaron, I don't think has seen the movie, but if we will cover the movie in a future episode of Crystal Skull. But um, in the meanwhile, Detective, Detective Pikachu returns, where it's basically... Okay, I'm back. And just to clarify, I actually have seen Detective Pikachu. Oh, you have seen it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw it. I didn't do it. Did I see it? The, I can't remember if I saw it on the, uh, when I was flying over to see you, or if I can't remember if I saw it, if I was, actually did see it in the theater. I actually can't no, remember. No, I, I think you did see it when you were flying over to see me. Oh, yeah, it was one of my movies, wasn't it? Yeah, so I think that's when I saw it. Yeah, and I saw it recently, too. So, yeah, it, it, so but Detective Pikachu returns. Uh, we have Tim again. We have Detective Pikachu, and they're solving more mysteries. And, yeah, now it's out on the Switch. So I'm actually curious, especially um, if they're able to answer that cliffhanger that was in the video game. But maybe for people who've actually seen the movie, they're like, wait, how does how does this work? Because, you know, Detective Pikachu is back. Like, it shouldn't be that case at all. I'm going on the rule that, you know, the movie is separate from the video game. And like, you know, um, like the Super Mario Brothers movie, like, you know, it's, it's its own thing. Right. It's not, it has elements of the video games in it. But in regards to like, you know, the, uh, the canon, it's its own canon. If you will. Yes, it is its own canon. So for those who have only seen the movie, I've never played the D- the 3DS game. Um, don't worry about the, the plot and the continuity. Don't play the bloody game then. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not going to be the same as like, you know, the movie. It's its own thing. Exactly. You know? Yeah. All right. So that is the announcement for Detective Pikachu. Okay. And the uh, the last thing I think that um, uh, variety, I think, sorry, The Verge was going on is that, uh, I mean, obviously it was the Pokemon announcement. So yeah, that, yeah. that's their five. So basically Pokemon, WarioWare, uh, Super Mario RPG, uh, then Detective Pikachu, and uh, then obviously, you know, where what we'll talk about later on is uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. That's their five things. All right, so... Do, um, do, you, do you agree with that? Or do you think there was, like, another bigger announcement in there? I think the Metal Gear Solid, uh, you know, announcement was bigger. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. In fact, that's what IGN said was one of the biggest things that they felt was, um, you know, covered on the announcement, was Metal Gear Solid, um, you know, Collection Volume 1. So it features Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3 
Snake Eater. It actually has the original Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 from the MSX. Don't forget the soundtracks. And the soundtracks of all the games. And they also have the NES Metal Gear and Snake's Revenge. The only thing I'd say about the soundtracks is, is that, you know, does it give you an opportunity to, like, you know, download them in some way? Like, you can play them, like, on, like, what, your iPod or, like, your MP3 player or something like that? Oh, that's a really or, good question. I don't know. Yeah, I think, because, like, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, on the, uh, say, you know, the, so- the Sonic uh, collection that's uh, on the GameCube? Yes. And, like, you, you have the opportunity to, like, have a look at, like, the comic books and yeah. everything like that. Like, you know, I mean, why would you want to read a comic book on your GameCube? You know, like, it's just, it's uh, when you want to play that, you know, it, it doesn't really make, if it was like a downloadable item where you could like, you know, you get a code in, like you punch it in and you can like read it on your tablet or something like that, mm-hmm. that would make sense. I'm not, I mean, I'm not too sure how I feel about the fact that, you know, you, if you want to like listen to your Metal Gear Solid music, you'd have to punch in like your, you know, Nintendo Switch or something like that and like, you know, you have to listen to like your soundbar on your TV or something like that. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure that they probably have it up on Spotify or some. It is on Spotify, but I mean, like, uh, what would the novelty of like playing it on your Nintendo Switch? be mm. that thing would be the next thing I, don't I, know. I mean usually whenever i look at i mean i do like the option of a soundtrack that i can be able to access because that's starting to become a dying art in which like it used oh, to you're calling, are you referring to the sound test that we used yeah to we to used have. to have sound yeah, tests. yeah well, I agree. when you put when you put in like you know when ninja you know when an, is it ninja gaiden i can't remember shinobi sorry shinobi so, yes. yeah shinobi will like, give you like an opportunity to like listen to the music and stuff like that also you know streets of rage would also do that as well like mm-hmm. on, the, on the on the a lot of actually mega drive games would give you the opportunity to listen yeah to the but music. that's becoming a dying art in fact, one of the things that made Scott Pilgrim versus the World such a novel game was, you know, the the not only the callback to like 1980s beat 'em up games like River City Ransom, but also they even had a sound test, so you can be able to listen to like sound effects and listen to the music that they played in there, and they even had songs that were not even included in the game at all. But yeah, having the access to soundtracks, it may sound like, oh, you know, this is something that we take for granted because we can just go on YouTube and we can just listen to whatever music that we want. But no, I mean, in some cases, you know. Know, this kind of media physical media is you know starting to become less and less to the point in which like they just give you the basics they don't give you like all those little extra things that people want yeah also I was looking at GameSpot at the minute so uh, they said that Sonic Superstars was one of their big, big highlights yeah well we already had the announcement of Sonic Superstars if you remember from Summer Games Fest 2023 which you talked about last week on Aaron and Patricia mm-hmm. yeah so we already knew about that and we already were excited about it I was we- to say Persona 5 Tactica actually looks pretty impressive yeah yeah, I mean, it's a Persona game. Of course, it's going to be looking really impressive. A lot of people have been excited about it, and it's not too surprising. And yeah, I mean, we already know that uh, Sega is going to be doing some major announcements over at Anime Expo, where they're going to be talking about some more Persona news and some Shin Megami Tensei news. So uh, I have to say, uh, Myth Force sounds like he's got some promise, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah the- it's, it's, it's a Saturday morning cartoon show come to life. It's yes. like, I love that. Con- I mean, we're 90s kids. Of course, we're going to love that concept. But, uh, you know, like, it's got, like, all the action, it's got, like, all the animation, it's got, like, uh, you know, all the fantasy elements involved in it. But there's one thing that is uh, missing out of this whole thing, which I really hope it's going to include in the final project, that's the cheesy one-liners. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, mind you, I'm not expecting it to have, like, you know, some of, like, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the of, the of time kind of, like, you know, narrative. Like, you know, I remember when uh, there was that scene in He-Man Masters of the Universe where Nashira was captured, then she fainted, then uh, Skeletor just said, oh, just like a woman. It's like, you know, I don't think we're going to be hearing any of that. No, 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 no. I mean, they were they were just saying like you know the whole I have the power. Oh yeah, that was hammered. I, this to me sounds like it was based off like you know things like He Man and uh, Thundercats. Thundercats, and uh, you know I'm sure there was like you know some 
like, uh, oh, what was that one that was about? Was it Ivanhoe? I can't remember if it was Ivanhoe or not. Um, you know, but yeah, some of those like fantasy, you know, um, you know, maybe even some Dungeons and Dragons maybe Asian be involved in it. Yeah, too. sure. It, yeah. it kind of feels like Centurions. It kind of feels like skeleton warriors and all those old. Uh, oh, Jason. J- I mean, it's not really. I don't think. I think Jason the real warriors. I think is probably a bit of a bit of a stretch. I think, but mm, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe you know, like uh, your Ulysses. Remember Ulysses as oh, well. Oh, Ulysses. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember all those. Like, if, if it has all of that, like you know, uh, that just that you know that wonderful like nineties, like just, like just feel like nostalgic. You know, like you know, it's like it's not like cheap animation. It's more like you know, it's like it's like all come to life. So it actually looks really impressive. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah the, the the way that they've done this, I mean, tell you what, actually, when you look at this art form, it makes you wonder, like, any future Saturday morning cartoon shows that they might want to like you know revive in the time, maybe they should do it like that. Maybe like you know, give it that three D, you know, uh, that HD touch. It actually looks pretty good. Yeah, and it's kind of like what um the AVGN used to say it's like you know there's a difference between old school and outdated where old school is kind of like yeah it looks primitive yeah it looks kind of antiquated but there's a charm to it that cannot be replicated in today's time no matter what you do and if you're able to capture the spirit of it a lot of people will find that very endearing well if something is outdated it's something that you never want to go back to like um you know if you want to say like um you know there's i'm sure there's like plenty of examples in which like oh yeah i remember uh, several years ago there was like this RPG game where they were trying to emulate like the the old games of the 2000s where they had like the fixed camera angles and they had like um, you know weak weapons and strong weapons they had crafting and a lot of people were like I get what they were trying to do they were trying to emulate the games from like 20 years ago but it just feels more old than like classic so yeah you know I, I get that some people like crave like you know the old way that we do gaming but to be honest with you some improvements have been done for a reason I mean that's because like it's easier for people to handle and also that it's actually not frustrating. You know, I get this frustrating video. That's one thing that's, uh, you know, the AVGN uh, video game was trying to catch on. You know, the death blocks, if you remember, yes. like, you know, how awful they were. I don't miss the death blocks by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination when playing a video game, but still. <laughs> You know, excuse me. But, you know, like, uh, I just think that um, if you're going to, you know, I think what Myth Force, I think, has to offer here, I think, is something that I think that we will enjoy. So I am looking forward to seeing it and uh, seeing if it's going to be any good. I'm actually really curious about what the voice acting is going to be like, because they didn't show the voice acting in this uh, trailer. They just showed the gameplay. Yeah, I want to hear what the voice is going to be like. If it's like, you know, the the, the scratchy, like, kind of like, you know, uh, old school way of, like, you know, doing it, if you remember back in the time where it's not, not, it's not like high quality, like, you know, voice recording but it is you know uh, if it's got that in it I think I'd love this game to be honest with you. and also the, the one liners are also going to be in there too I like would I love before. it if there are one liners if you know you have one of the characters who's fighting off like those skeleton baddies and they'll be like you know I, I took you down bonehead and he's like uh, what works for my sister works for me <laughs> <laughs> oh okay um, another funny enough I don't know why games will put this in as a highlight because I didn't think it was anything you know Splatoon 3 have announced the latest okay, I, I, I know that you're getting tired of Splatoon 3 at this point. Well, it's not that I'm getting tired of it. It's just the fact that it's becoming, in the single pay, it has become a bit repetitive. So, like, you know, I've kind of gone off it a little bit re- uh, recently. But, I mean, like, uh, they've recently announced, like, you know, I mean, it's the ultimate question of our time, I guess. You know, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Is it vanilla, strawberry, or mint chocolate chip? Right. Like, you know, how dare they not include chocolate in all of this? <laughs> they have to have mint chocolate? Like, you know, what's wrong with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry? It's the Neapolitan. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just, it's uh, so, 
I mean, yeah, the um, the Platoon 3 thing was like, meh, and like, uh, so that wasn't like one of the most exciting parts of the of the presentation, i got to be honest with everybody, so, uh, yeah. to be honest with you, I think like, yeah, I think Splatoon, I think is just, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone's enjoying the multiplayer right now, but i got to be honest with you, somebody, as somebody who's not playing Splatoon 3 or multiplayer right now, I'm like, literally just stuck with a single player, I mean, I've moved on to, you know, doing Tears of the Kingdom and also Metroid Prime Remastered as well, trying to get that sorted out too. Yeah, and for all the people who are wondering if they have not seen the Nintendo Direct, no, Metroid Prime 4 has not been announced. Unfortunately, I mean, to be honest with you, like, if they are redoing, you know, last time we talked about this, they were like, they took it off, you know, you know Namco who was doing it, and yes. they gave it back to Retro Studios, and yes. now they're redoing it again. I, you know, if they are really giving it the, the, the necessary polish that we'll need for it, I've got to be honest with you, I think it might not even be until maybe next year, until we actually maybe hear something exactly, maybe. Exactly, yeah. So, who knows where we're going to be at this point. Mind you, um, we do have, uh, if we don't have Samus, well, at least we have Princess Peach. That's <laughs> right, yeah, the first time in over 15 years that you get to play as Princess Peach. Not since the DS game, if you remember, where Princess Peach was able to, like, save Mario and Luigi from Bowser, and she was able to do it with the power of her emotions. Yeah, so I think this game apparently involves her actually changing, you know, uh, costume, like, on, on a stage. So it looks like we're going to probably be, like, you know, like a, like a dancing game, maybe, or something mm -hmm. like that with Princess Peach. Well, like, it will be the theme of the game, so, like, you know, she'll wear, like, different outfits in order to, like, do different things, you know what I'm saying? So, yes. like, you know, that would actually be inclined with, like, you know, the Mario game. You remember, like, you know, Mario goes into a frog suit in order to, like, swim better, like, he wears a tanuki suit, obviously, to, like, you know, fly. Uh, to fly and stuff like that. He, uh, you know, so, like, there is, um, there is some kind you know, some, uh, lin you know, lineage to, you know, what we're talking about here in regards to a Princess Peach game. So, I'm interested to see what they do here with, uh, with Princess Peach this time around, and who knows, maybe it might be something pretty, uh, pretty unique. Yeah, bar we barely got anything, unfortunately, because it was just only a quick teaser, and they were just, like, saying, like, you know, you're gonna have to wait until, uh, in the future when we find out, well, what, Pe you know, Princess Peach's game is gonna be about, so, yeah, unfortunately, we're not able to tell you any further than that. Yeah, uh, one surprising thing we got was a Batman trailer, which, uh, by the way, um, when I saw, when I heard the Joker's voice, and I heard Mark Hamill, like, I thought, wait a second, I thought Mark Hamill was done with the Joker, but no, uh, apparently, uh, we are gonna be getting an Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Knight, all in one game. It is going to be the Arkham Trilogy. I'm really excited about this because uh, we already have it on other consoles. We already have it on like the Xbox, the PlayStation, Steam, and now the Switch is going to be able to get it, and it's going to have all the DLC included. So that's going to be fantastic for those who missed out on it the first time, which if you have... Seriously, I mean, check out these games. You have Paul Dini back as the writer. You have um, the late Kevin Conroy as Batman. Mark Hamill as the Joker. You have all of these amazing voice actors from uh, Nolan North and Maurice LaMarche, uh, you know, playing as these iconic villains. And you, I, I, you get to explore Arkham City and you get to explore the asylum. You get to be able to drive around the Batmobile. You get to be able to do all kinds of really cool stuff. So, yeah, I would say that if if you haven't played any of the Arkham games, do it. They're fantastic. I played Arkham Asylum. Uh, well, actually, that was, was convinced me to actually get a PlayStation Three for the first time. Like, if, if it wasn't for because it was an exclusive game back at that time, it was. And if, if, if I if it wasn't for Arkham Asylum, I don't think I would have bought a PlayStation Three. And then after that, my uh, my brother uh, took it over and bought, played all his Ratchet and Clank games on there. So like, <laughs> you know, so it didn't go to waste entirely. So yeah, yeah. and the, the Ratchet and Clank games on the PS3 were pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, furthering on from that, so we got an announcement for. Dragon Quest as well. So. Yeah, a, a new Dragon Quest where you not only um, you don't actually like use your you know the 
swords and you have a team of like various people to join alongside with your quest, you actually are alone this time because you've been cursed and you actually get to control monsters to fight alongside you. So you're the Dark Prince, apparently. So yeah, it's a very nice, interesting spin-off title of the original Dragon Quest games, which Dragon Quest has been around for almost 40 years. It's going to be really popular in Japan and various other places, so not too much of a surprise there. I think that Dragon Quest has got its fans, but unfortunately I've missed the boat, so... I mean, to be quite fair, I, I mean, for Europe, you guys got pretty screwed over by RPGs when they were first coming out. Yeah, but I mean, we were aware of them. I mean, yeah, you were aware of them, but they were not readily available. I mean, the first Final Fantasy game you ever received was Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, and you wouldn't get a proper Final Fantasy game until 7. Well, if you were a proper nerd and we were able to import games, like, keep in mind, like, you know, things like Lakesand were still, you know, still a thing at the time. Like, you know, that's the reason why I bought Star Fox Command before everybody else, like, in Europe. Like, how have you got Star Fox Command? He's like, well, I've got it from Lakesang. You know, like, do you remember that? You remember that website from I back rem- in the day? I, rem- I remember Lakesang, yes. I, that's where I got all of my imported Japanese games from. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, there were ways to get them. Unfortunately, you had to be, like, a massive nerd in order to find them. So, like, you know, it was, uh, we were aware of them at the time. So, like, uh, but, uh, I mean, um, you know, yeah, I think uh, some people who are fans of Dragon Quest, I think, uh, you know, they will be very happy with this. Yeah, but- and speaking of um, other games that were ported, we need to talk about Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, well, before we do that, I mean, like, Pikmin 4 was obviously picked oh, up. Oh, yeah, like, that, that's going to be a big one, but yeah. I just ha- I'm just i just going to go really quickly on Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, because it was originally on the 3DS, and it was actually one of the last games on the 3DS right before that died off. Uh, that and... Oh, yeah, I, I didn't actually get a 3DS, actually, you know, uh, slap on the wrist from me. But, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, so, you know, all these other games, I'm really glad that they're re-releasing, because now I have an opportunity to play them, as I wasn't had before, so yes. that's good. Uh, it, it would be so great if we could actually get Metroid uh, Samus Returns um, ported onto the Switch because, um, you know, Mercury Steam did Metroid Dread. And I think that a lot of the things that they learned from Samus Returns, they implemented it in Metroid Dread and it played amazingly. And so I think that if we got that, very similar to what they're doing with Dark Moon, that'd be great because they have, you know, the original Luigi's Mansion was on the GameCube and then Dark Moon and uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 will be accessible to the Switch. So it would be nice, hint, hint, Nintendo, please release more GameCube games on your virtual console. You know, I want Star Fox. I want Star Fox Assault. Like uh, on uh, on on that. Actually, on top of that as well, uh, they should release Star Fox Zero. That was on the Wii. Like you know, Star Fox Zero. I think with like you know normal controls, actually be a really good Nintendo Switch game in my opinion. Yeah, I mean the same thing happened when they ported Skyward Sword on the Switch, in which a lot of people hated Skyward Sword because of the controls. They felt it was too gimmicky and they couldn't respond to it very well. But once they ported it on the Switch and it gave you that option to play it normally, people loved it. Yeah, exactly. They should do exactly the same thing with uh, Star Fox Zero. I think that would be really good. Okay, so um, next now, one was Pokemon. F- oh, sorry, P- P- next one is Pikmin Four. Now let's talk about Pikmin Four. Yeah, and so like uh, Pikmin Four, you know, like uh, really. By the way, now you don't have to uh, be only out during the day. You can go out at night, and on top of that, you get a special glowing Pikmin as well. But uh, the one thing that they warn about is that uh, the uh, the enemies get really dangerous around about that time. And to be honest with you, I was playing uh, Breath of the Wild, playing Tears of the Kingdom. You know, I'm used to you know. If- powerful enemies, you know, coming up the, when the blood moon rises and everything <laughs> like that. So, you know, that doesn't scare me all that much. I'm more interested in the concept of the fact that now there's a new type of Pikmin that, you know, is a glowing Pikmin. And uh, there's also now, apparently,
apparently a lot of your um, comrades apparently been captured by like some of the, uh, the animals in the game, yes. which is interesting, really, because like I've not played Pikmin. Well, now you can play Pikmin One and Pikmin Two up on the uh, on, on the e store now. But uh, I mean, I'm not right. I'm vaguely familiar with like the Pikmin games, but something like that didn't really happen in like Pikmin. So interesting to see where that story goes in in, in Pikmin Four. So yeah. like, you know, if you're, so, like, I really like this idea. Like, you know, they're, they're building up more of a story element within Pikmin. They're giving you more variety of what to do with the Pikmin. You also got like, you know, this uh, this dog buddy as well, which I think is a really cool thing. Yeah, I really so. like the dog character. He looks really cute, and he's also able to help you out with like pulling the items back into the ship. You can finally swim without having the risk of drowning any of your Pikmin, and also he's able to fight alongside with you on the baddies. So yeah, it's a very very helpful companion. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's he's like when you had uh, when we moved on to Tides of Darkness in uh, Warcraft Two, when you know, finally we got ships we can move people around on, you know, like here rather than like you know having to like you know move them around sea and things like that. So I think uh, yeah, that's a pretty good thing. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and that was their major announcement for those who are wondering. Uh, the the first of two major announcements. The last thing that they did was the discussion of Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Yeah. Well, before we do that, I mean, uh, just a sh- shout out to uh, Mario and Rabbids. Apparently, there's oh yeah, they're yeah. having new DLC. They got new DLC, so just the amount of that. And uh, now we can move on to Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And uh, you know, it's just it's uh, one thing I noticed though when I was looking through Twitter while people were talking about this is. Charles uh, Martinet actually voicing Mario in this game? Because some people are actually picking up that he sounds a bit different. Huh. I don't know. That is a really good question. I have no idea. I mean, maybe... Be- Please tell me Chris Pratt's not playing Mario now in the game. <laughs> good grief. I don't think so. I, I think that um, it-, it probably is, but uh, maybe, you know, some cir- circumstances may-, may have may have sounded him a little bit differently, or maybe that's not him at all. Maybe Martin was busy with something, or maybe he wasn't feeling well. I'm not sure. But, yeah, we did see the, the look of uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. It's a 2D side-scrolling game, which we haven't had since the new Super Mario Brothers games back 10 years ago if you can believe it it's like 10 years ago that was when the year of luigi was you remember that the super luigi u games and all that stuff and then uh then they started moving over to like super mario 3d land and then all that kind of stuff and then they just kind of like took a break from the 2d stuff because people were getting burned out from it and then after a while people were like you know seeing all the new games that were coming out like odyssey and stuff and people were like you know we missed the 2d stuff again but then they were saying like you know we want to give it a break you know we we want to be able to come up with some new creative ideas and here it is with super mario brothers wonder and it is a fever trip and a half it is isn't it like you know it makes you wonder like uh, it's just so apparently you take this flower and apparently then everything starts to go weird which is kind of like uh um that's uh yeah well yeah that's uh yeah, that's, you know, not suggestive in any <laughs> yeah, particular yeah exactly way. did somebody put something in my drink yeah, yeah but so basically when you touch the wonder flower uh a whole bunch of things happen like the world changes and you know the enemies change different sizes the power-ups are really creatively weird like the elephant one but uh, yeah you have uh, an opportunity to play um, you know as Mario and Luigi and Peach and Daisy this time you didn't you never got to play as Daisy before you always had to play as like one of the Toads or Rosalina and stuff like that but now Daisy is coming into the picture which is great I, I think they were going to and I think inevitably there were going to be more Mario characters that were going to be involved in like the main games so I think you know that doesn't surprise me that you know we finally got Daisy yeah in, I know it's it's been like, oh gosh, like, you know, other than like spin-off titles with like uh, the sports games or the party games, you don't really get to play as Daisy in the platforming game. So this is a really big deal. 
And I think that, um, you know, somewhere down the line, we're going to be able to see some more of the characters you get to play as. I mean, and we, uh, another thing we forgot to mention was the uh, the DLC for Mario Kart 8, where they're going to bring back Petey Piranha, they're going to bring out Wiggler, they're going to bring Kamek into the lineup. Yeah, Kamek's back, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it's funny, like, you know, I was talking about this before, it's like, you know, this is Street Fighter 2 all over again, like, you know, we're going to be stuck with 8 for a you know, significantly long time from the looks of things. Yeah, you even said that the 8 is now starting to look like, like an infinity, infinity symbol. symbol. Like, it's just, it's just, it's just Mario got infinity now at this point, like, we're just going to keep getting, like, more and more DLC for Mario Kart 8. And to be honest with you, Mario Kart 8 is a really good Mario Kart engine, you know, to be honest with you. After playing other Mario Karts, you know, like, uh, the only other engine I could say that I kind of like is probably Double Dash. I agree, you know? because you remember last year when I came over uh, to England, and we started playing, like, Mario Kart uh, 64, we played Mario uh, Super Mario Kart for the Super Nintendo. I want to say something really controversial. I, I don't like the Mario Kart 64 engine. I think I, it's, I, it I, really I, some, is I, As somebody who just recently played it, and this is something, uh, and like I said before on Aaron and Patricia, I did not grow up with the N64. I had a PlayStation when I was a teenager. So as somebody who played a Mario Kart N64, I hated it. I couldn't control it. I couldn't go fast. I was having difficulties uh, trying to figure out where I was supposed to like push buttons and stuff like that. I just felt it was a little bit sluggish. Now, let me tell you something. When you're playing four player, it is absolutely the, the, the whole thing just overloads. Like you know, it just goes like a million miles an hour. Oh jeez. Basically, yeah, it's it's not a good game. It's uh, you know in a four player. And then I, I I also didn't like Super Mario Kart either. Like I just felt it was a bit antiquated. Well, and I mean, Super not- Mario Kart was like the first go. So I you know. Got, you gotta give it credit for that. And as we honest with you. As a as a genet- as a racing game, I mean, like uh, I got to be honest, I, I I didn't, you know, I thought it was really good at the time, and yeah, it does. It, here's the thing about this though, it does require a lot of learning curves in this, and you get that once you start getting to, like you know, the 100 cc and 150 cc races. Yeah. I think once you once you mess around with the 50 cc races just enough to like get to the point where you can get really really good, then you start to like really start to adapt to it. it, it the one thing I would say about Mario Super Mario Kart is that if you really, by the way, we were kids back in the day, so we. We had like hours to spare, you know, becoming you know, ma- masters of Super Mario Kart or masters of this game or masters of that game. I gotta be honest, I think if Super Mario Kart was released today with so many people like you know having other stuff kind of doing their lives, like you know, in their twenties and thirties, I gotta be honest, Mario Super Mario Kart probably wouldn't have taken off as the way it would have done probably back when in the days of the nineties, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the fact that it was like a novel concept. It's like Mario racing around a you know, a cart and you get to play as other characters. Well, you know, you know what the, originally it wasn't even supposed to be a Mario Kart. It was a Mario game. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was supposed to be like you know, just a generic racer where you could like put yourself into the game. Uh, apparently, that was the, the uh, one of the original ideas that was being discussed. Then after that, it became like generic racers. And then uh, you know, I think Mario Miyamoto came over to it and said, "Why don't you put Mario ca- characters into this?" Yeah, um, and it was the pretty much history. Yeah, the, the same thing with Super Smash Brothers, in which it was originally supposed to be like a generic game called Dragon King: The Fighting Game. And then Ma- Masahiro Sakurai came up with the idea of like, let's just put Nintendo characters in here. Anyway, but yeah, um, going into to like uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So, yeah, it does look really colorful. It looks really creative. And going back into like the old school ways of, you know, how Mario games used to be, it's kind of like interesting because we have. Well, I don't even think it's even that. I think he's just taking like the, you know, the, the engine and basically they play, saying that, okay, there's no rules here. Like, you know, once you eat that, once you will take that flower, you know, like, you know, everything starts to go crazy and nothing is linear and, you know, anything could potentially happen. You could, the game could swallow you whole if it wanted to. <laughs> like, 
know, like, there's a lot of, like, scary things that are currently going on. I could probably imagine there's going to be a lot of Super Mario Wonder, you know, memes. Or, like, you know, about, like, you know, drug-induced, you know, uh, psychosis and stuff like that uh, after watching this. But uh, in all seriousness, like, you know, they also give you, like, you know, um, a new ability. So, like, you know, Mario can now become, like, an elephant. Yes. Like, I'm assuming that's going to, like, you can, like, you, like, super strength and stuff like that. And, like, you know, that that's nothing new. Like, you know, you could uh, do that, you know, previously, like, you know, in, in, Mario, in Mario games. Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. Uh, not to that degree, but, I mean, like, uh, you know what? You know, everyone knows what I mean. But um, so I can say that this is, uh, you know, uh, going to be a unique experience, I think. And uh, the one thing I think we'll definitely say, I think, after watching this Nintendo Direct, I mean, like, with the exception of, like, all the RPG and, like, you know, the other, like, remake games that, like, all becoming three-dimensional. I mean, looking at, uh, you know, the re- latest uh, Sonic, you know, uh, Superstar game. Yes. And then looking at Mario for uh, Mario Forever. Sorry, Mario uh, Wonder. I'm going to keep saying Forever. I don't know why. Maybe Mario Wonder. I think 2D and I think 2D games are coming back, don't you think? I agree. And, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense considering that we've had a lot of indie titles that were making callbacks to a whole bunch of classic video games. I mean, we, we uh, another thing that we forgot to mention is that the same team behind Sonic Mania is doing their own original uh, 2D platformer. I know, that's one thing I was looking at was really odd. That's being overlooked a little bit, really. Like, you know, the, the, the one team that created, like, one of the best Sonic games in, like, you know, on, on, on this side of the century and then, like, or, or, you know, the Millennium, sorry. And, you know, it's not they're not even getting a look in for like their new game. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty disrespectful. Well, not disrespectful, but I think it's. I think it's pretty sad that you know in the this Nintendo Direct that they're getting overlooked in all of this. I, I, I agree, and it's it's a shame that you know a game that looks really colorful, that looks really really creative with like you go you got to you know go around and explore different worlds and go you know have like a yo-yo that you can be able to swing around and defeat enemies and stuff like that. I think that that's actually pretty cool. And if it's going to be done by the same team who did Sonic Mania, then I would say that this is something that you need to check out. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not derivative. I mean, it definitely focuses, like I said, on like classic stuff. And for those who are wondering what's the name of the game, it's called Penny's Big Breakaway. So yeah, it's coming out this fall. So if you're in, if this sounds remotely interesting to you, I would say check it out. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, we've hit some, like, you know, the, the big... By the way, you should just sit down and watch this yourself if you've not already done it. Like, you know, this is a this is a really solid Nintendo Direct. Okay, there were a bit of quiet moments, like, uh, in between, but I've got to be honest with you, every time there was, like, they got done with, like, you know, a quiet announcement, like, it hits you, like, you know, with a big call. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, and you, you will find something here I think you will like. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to, like, what, last year's uh, Nintendo Direct where there was just all those farming simulators and then you made that To joke. be fair, though, I mean, we, we made fun of, like, you know, what, what's with all the farming, but at the same time, they did give us some things in between. Like, I know, you know I know. I, it's just a, that, that joke also, that the you... the Tears of the Kingdom announcement was yep, also that, that was probably the biggest thing that came out. But that, to be fair, like, that's the only thing that people remembered it other than just the jokes about, like, oh, look at all those farming games. Yeah, I get that, but, I mean, look at this one now, I think. Uh, if people were disappointed with the last Nintendo Direct that you know uh, didn't really feel like it delivered. This one delivered. Yes, it did. Yeah, and I you, you and I have just gone on like on a forty-five minute discussion about it. So, so like you know, that's how that's how intensive this all this. This uh, our discussion about this just outlasted the Nintendo Direct itself. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, a Nintendo Direct. Uh, that will be the uh, this uh, coming um, discussion that we went over with just everything that was just showcased. If you have not seen it, please do. 
Yeah, and tell us your favorite boss as well. Yeah, please let us know in the comments about what was your favorite game that was revealed on the Nintendo Direct. Yeah. Okay, um, let's move on to Disney news. And oh my goodness, there's not very much good Disney news coming out. Oh, like absolutely and, not. Uh, well, let's start with the lighter stuff first. And that is that uh, Nintendo has lost nearly 95% of its classic animation material. And I believe that's because some of it's going to become public domain soon, yes. I believe. Yeah, so I'm just going to read off uh, an article from Disney Dining, and it says right here, as the year 2024 draws closer, Disney fans have become increasingly vocal and concerned about the Walt Disney Company losing rights to Mickey Mouse, but they've already lost about 95% of the classic animation material from its feature films, and no amount of lobbying Congress could have stopped the loss. The first thing that they talked about was, of course, the public domain thing. So this has been a massive thing that's been going on for a long time. So Steamboat Willie premiered in 19. 28. And when they learned that in 1983 it was going to slip into public domain, that was when Disney went over to Congress and they requested that they wanted to save this short and it wasn't going to be slipping into the public domain. And then finally, Disney did the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, otherwise known as the Copyright Term Extension Act, where it was like extended over to like 95 years or 96 years, depending on, you know, which uh, which it is. But unfortunately, by January 1st of 2024, it will now end its 96-year copyright, and it will slip in to the public domain. I mean, like, uh, I mean, it's pretty much like, you know, um, I mean, everyone knows Steamboat Willie at this yes. point, and like, so like, uh, I mean, I don't know what else, you know, Disney could potentially do with Steamboat Willie, to be honest with you. Now, I have heard that they are going to be like, you know, uh, remastering some of like, you know, their their classic shorts and really and re-releasing re them. I mean, like, you know, is this like sort of like, you know, uh, an opportunity for them to like, you know, re-copyright like, you know, these works or anything? I'm not, I'm not too sure. Sure. I mean, you, you remember several years ago, whenever that they were doing like major reanimation projects, they were doing it based off of like public domain uh, cartoons like Termite Terrace and the Dover Boys and stuff like that. So do you think that maybe we'll see a reanimation project from Disney? Uh, maybe, but I mean, that would be one way they could be, you know, maybe maybe they could skirt like, you know, the copyright protection, you know, uh, laws maybe. If like they say, well, we've just recreated, you know, uh, something with that, with those the same, you know, intellectual property rights. So like, you know, hey, this is a new thing that we've got. So there, maybe that's one re one of the reasons about it, I'm not too sure. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you, like, you know, I don't know what else Disney could do with Steamboat Willie. Let it just slip into public domain. Let, like, just let the just let everybody just appreciate like, the fact that this was like, you know, this is a this is a museum piece at this moment. Like, Steamboat Willie was the huge thing that ca that catapulted, catapulted Mickey into stardom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like, you know, just just let it let, let it go. You know, like, like you're frozen it. Let it go. Let it go. Let Steamboat Willie go. <laughs> Shut up. Let it go. Let it go. Like, you know, um, in regards to, like, all, like, you know, everything, I mean, I can understand why Disney are concerned about, like, you know, their characters and everything like that, because you remember, Winnie the Pooh went into public domain, and what have we got out of it so far? Like, you know, some, like, really crappy independent film, and also, like, you know, a really badly made horror film. Like, you know, like, <sighs> nothing real good has come out of uh, Winnie the Pooh so far going entering into the public domain. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it, you know, after seeing some of the things that have basically been, you know, announced for Winnie the Pooh, we kind of like, you know what, Disney did it better, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, exactly. So I can understand why they're pretty concerned about other things falling into the public domain, because we're the, we're the, we know we're just going to get, like, cheap knockoffs of, like, you know, some of these characters and everything like that. Like, you know, it's just, it's, I don't see, you know, unless somebody has, like, a really good idea of what to do with this intellectual property that is outside the Disney, you know, you know uh, uh, sphere that actually looks pretty good and people are going to get some really good enjoyment out of it i mean to be honest with you it just it's uh, uh yeah i'm sort of in agreement of why they would be concerned because there's going to be a lot of
lot of crap out there that's going to come out with like you know these these characters in it, and uh, you know everyone's really going to not like it. And you know, dare I say, it's not the people who create it who basically get you know uh, uh, the problem of it. It's the people who like you know previously owned it who are basically going to end up getting the complaints about it. I probably would imagine. Yeah, there have been several classic stories that have been slipped into the public domain, and they've had mixed to positive adaptations. We've talked about with the Jungle Book, in which like you know for every Disney Jungle Book you have uh, the Chuck Jones version, or you have um, the Andy Circus one. Uh, oh, yeah, like those Japanese what versions that came out like from like, Independence. Uh, that's right. Know, that's okay. There's really obscure ones that came out like on like on the children's channel, like on like direct to V direct to VHS. Mm-hmm. You know those types of things that like, you know existed. So yeah, like I can understand why they're concerned because. Um, it's going to be something that's going to be like, you know, they'll link it back to Disney, you know, where that's just what people seem to stupidly do, even though they shouldn't do it. Like, you know, we, you should know when something isn't Disney. Isn't, you know, it's like, you know, remember like, uh, remember when Video Benguedo did like all those, um, you know, uh, those knockoff... Uh, Ratatouille! Ratatouille and like, you know, the little, the brave little panda fighter and stuff like that. <laughs> like, you know, you know, like all that all that stuff. Like, and, uh, you know, people, you know, fooled into thinking that this is the generic article when in actual fact it isn't. So I can understand where Disney are coming from from that aspect uh, in that regard but uh, to be honest with you like uh, if that's the law and these uh, you know characters are going to be soon going to be popping up on like you know really crappy director DVD uh, things very soon then you know uh, it's just it's uh, let, yeah, people hopefully people will then soon realize that this is the crap and this is the genuine article and people will you know look past it but unfortunately you know um, it's funny like you and I went to go see Spinning Image the um the musical like Idiots Assemble uh, on the last day of London and uh, one of the things that they said about uh, asking people about their opinions on stuff on the street is like you know, the, the average person on the street is a fucking idiot so <laughs> maybe that might be the reason for these directors you know these uh, sorry these non-Disney you know uh, projects that are coming with all these like characters like falling out uh, falling into public domain yeah exactly and and also not to mention it's not just like the the directed video stuff but it's also merchandise t-shirts and also you remember when we saw that Mickey Mouse documentary on Disney Plus where a, a preschool had to like paint over the Mickey and Minnie stuff because it was considered copyright and you know now that's not going to be the case you can make Steamboat Willie do anything it's kind of like when Bill Watterson was so pissed off that they were able to depict Calvin pissing on the cars when he was very strict on that well what's going to happen when Bill Watterson no longer has the rights to Calvin and Hobbes they're going to do a whole lot worse so yeah it, it, that's one of the things that they were mentioning about. I would just say, if like, if you got, you know, if I really wish there was, uh, you know, um, some kind of like quality control. I think for like yeah, so some of the and I get like you know it's just just it's, I, I don't really know what you can really do about this kind of stuff but you know I'm just really infuriated like the first thing that happens to characters when they fall out into public domain is that someone makes a really shitty version of them like you know like it's just like you know you stop it you know like stop it we're 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 not interested like you know uh, Winnie the Blue Blood and Honey was probably like fun for a laugh but then after that like you just you know it's uh, then you see like all this other kind of like you know garbage coming out for Winnie the Pooh and just we're not interested you know it's not funny stop it yeah. It's not funny, it's not cute, and it's not just, oh, we're going to do something that you grew up with as a kid, and now there's the adult version, we're going to do all this violence and blood and stuff like that. It's- yeah, you're just asking for your approval of your of uh, some you know, person that you probably...
Crowley, like, you know, uh, you know, loves slash hates like most of your life. We're not interested in your hang-ups. You go, go away and do something creative, please. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, seriously, like, the whole idea of the, the same people who did Blood and Honey are doing, like, this Tinkerbell movie about, like, an obese Tinkerbell. Why? Who was, Why? <laughs> who was, like, drugged up. Why? We're not interested in seeing that. No, this is terrible. This is horrifying. I know, like, it's just, no, we're not interested in that. No. Okay. Now, I know that some of you guys are who are listening, it's like, wait a minute, what does that have to do with Disney losing 95% of their classic animation material? Well, let's just talk about the other thing that was mentioned on the article. So, as you guys know, back then, they used to use pencil and paper to animate their projects. I know, it sounds crazy. Welcome to the Stone Age. Anyway, but um, what it used to be is that all of these Disney animators worked very hard on drawing every single still image into a movable frame. And here's the thing that back then, and this is from, you know, various articles where they would mention this, is that because it was labor intensive, it was lengthy, it was hardworking, animators used to throw this stuff away. Arthur Stevens, who was a major animator and who had worked on films such as The Original Rescuers, Fox and the Hound, and The Black Cauldron, once explained that animators used to toss finished animation canvases on the floor when they were finished with them, and it would be sliding around, and some of them were even thrown in the trash. It, it created multiple problems for the studio, and over the years, the carelessness of the Disney animators resulted in 95% of Disney's vintage animation material lost. In an effort to prevent future losses, experts are now doing preservation techniques to care for the original material. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that was around from Snow White even until like um, movies from the 80s like Black Cauldron have been lost to time because animators were so tired and fed up with all the drawing that they had to do with these characters they would just like toss them aside yeah but you can kind of understand why like you know they were just part of like a production process like you know it's like it's anything that's produced in a factory you know like it's like it's just it's just uh, you know uh, it's just like you know um a byproduct of like you know what you're trying to aim for so you're not going to care for the byproduct you're going to care about the actual product itself exactly so it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me also on top of that i bet a lot of people were not expecting to, to uh, think that you know snow white and the seven draws was going to do as well as it did Absolutely like, you know, not. Like it was the ver- it was an experiment. Like you know, it was like it was the first ever animated movie that was going to be released in theaters. And uh, you know, like you know, no, and there was no such thing as a box. I mean, there was such thing as a box office back then. But like you know, not for only for like you know the uh, the, the live action movies that were there at the time. And like even then, that was sort of like you know, the going to the theater was a unique experience at that time as well. You know, during like you know the after the Great Recession and like everything like that. So like you know, it, it, also during the also the time like if you weren't you know out, you'd be able to go out and go. To to the theater, you'd be doing other things, or you'd be going to war, you know, like, it was one of those things. So, um, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, stuff like this would end up getting lost, or would end up getting preserved, because back at the time, like, you know, it wasn't considered important, like, you know, um, but now, it is considered important, because we know how big Snow White and the Twelve Draws was, and we know how big some of the uh, classic Disney movies were, but, you know, back then, they didn't have that foresight, so therefore, they didn't look after any of that stuff. Absolutely not. I mean, you remember when, I mean, this is probably something that we saw in one of the Disney Plus documentaries that Disney had a major risk in doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He, you know, took out a lot of money from the bank and a lot of people were criticizing him, calling it Disney's folly because they thought that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was going to fail. And so when that happened and it became... And then a- they all ended up watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like today's critics. (laughs) Oh, this movie's going to suck. Watch it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, the Emoji movie's going to be the worst thing ever. Watch, Watch it. it. <laughs> oh, Sausage Party. That's rated R comedy for uh, that's animated. I'm, uh, this is offensive. I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to review it. <laughs> You're part of the problem. <laughs> anyway, the, the point was is that I hear this stuff all the time. Even oh, I'm working on a project right now where I'm actually talking to somebody who did a lot of filming and archiving of moments that happened to a, a specific place for like 50 years. And a lot of the stuff that they had was thrown out. And he actually, actually, he actually had to dig in the dumpster so that he could be able to collect all the stuff that they threw out in the library so that he could be able to keep it and preserve it. And now that he has, he was able to, you know, put it up on DVD and put it on CD for people to watch and people appreciated him for that. And so I'm actually planning on doing a, a, a documentary based off of all of the works that he's done. And so this stuff is nothing new. The same thing happened with Richard Williams' The Thief and the Cobbler, in which that, you know, he's been working on this movie for 30 years. And then when Miramax came along and said, we need you to release this movie, like, next year. And he wasn't even, like, remotely finished. And so they had to cut off a lot of the stuff. They added in some stuff that they, that he didn't want to. And a lot of the stuff was thrown in the trash. And a lot of the, you know, the fans of Thief and the Cobbler found those old drawings, put it all together into the recobbled cut. And that's the closest thing that we we will ever get to a completed version of Thief and the Cobbler that Richard Williams had envisioned. So I believe also, I mean, even though with Snow White, a lot of stuff has been lost. I mean, like they did manage to actually find find the uh, animatics for like you know the uh, uh, the the music in your soup. If you remember that, yes, like, yeah, I remember. So, so, I mean, some stuff can be you know restored and can be you know put back together, but uh, unfortunately, like you know, because a lot of people, you know, like I said again, they didn't have the foresight to realize you know that this stuff was going to be collector's item one day. They're not going to keep hold of it yeah I, when i was in momocon don bluth talked about the the the, the 12 minutes that was erased from the land before time where littlefoot and sarah were first running away from the sharp tooth and the reason why was because people like um you know george lucas and everybody was saying like you know this stuff is like too violent for the kids they're starting to cry over in the uh you know in the testing room and so they were forced to delete and destroy any evidence of that and i know there's been there's been some rumors for a long time that there's like a um, you know, like a, a lost uh, film that actually contained those last 12 minutes. But even Don Bluth himself said that it doesn't exist anymore. And so he doesn't even know if it's even around. Oh, my. Like, I tell you what, I'd be so awful like with test audiences. It's like, it's like this one came into me. He's like, okay, you know that dinosaur movie you did? Like, you're all, they're all starting to cry now because, you know, some of you, you, your characters are like, you know, getting you know, tortured or whatever. It's like, you know, okay, now launch the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I would be so cruel to our story. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, like it's just it's. Mind you, like um, I've always been, I've always been interested in test audiences. Like, you know, how do they? Obviously, they're gonna sign NDAs. Like, say you, know, you can't disclose, like you know, what's in it. You know, obviously, somehow we managed to get hold of like you know some of the, uh, you know, the discussion about the you know, the Super Mario movie. But obviously, before it became the final project, yes. I'm submit. I'm a, you know, with the, the dawn of the internet though and everything like that, I'm really surprised that test audiences are able to kind of keep their mouths shut the way that they can do. Like you know, because obviously you know now like. Uh, you know, as we said before, like anyone who, like, you know, you, you put something in front of, like, you know, which is highly anticipated, it's going to end up online somewhere, you know? I'm sure it so, is. But yeah. again, I'm, I'm sure it's probably for what you were saying before. Te you know, I'm sure they have to sign, you know, non disclosed contracts saying, I cannot reveal to anybody that I saw this or that I was a part of this and they asked me these questions. I'm sure that that stuff is very strict because, heaven forbid, if that stuff were to be leaked online and what if the audience hates it and then they'll be like, oh shit, do we have to, like, go back to the drawing board? Do, do you know what I hate? Well, you know, that, uh, 
the, in the advent of like ChatGTP and AI and something like that. My biggest fear is that well, imagine if one day we end up with a movie where like you know the the movie changes with like the mood of the audience, where like you know they feel like oh well uh, we want this to happen or we want that to happen. Like you know AI kind of like you know scans your your, your the chip in your brain or something like that, and it's like, like you know reacts as you know as as the movie goes on, depending on how you feel. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like you know I'm that that's a day that I'm going to be looking at. Like yeah, we're creativity just going way out the window. Yep, we are screwed. Yep. Anyway, we moved away, way from our topic, haven't we? So. Okay, so yeah, the point is is that in recent years, Disney has been very careful on preserving a lot of artwork and animatics and stuff like that on their films because they know that pretty soon they're going to have this stuff preserved. I mean, we've seen in various um, documentaries that the Disney archive room is very, very private and you have to go in with like literally with gloves on your hands because you don't want to like smear any of the pencil drawings so yeah and you know now that nowadays they're like putting it online so that you can be able to see it digitally and stuff like that but like man of all the stuff that we've lost over the you know over 100 years of disney where you know we could have had seen like drawings of like deleted stuff or deleted characters and um you know all those kind of things that we've could have seen but is it doesn't exist anymore yeah exactly but uh anyway we're um we're already halfway through the show and we're gonna cover two subjects right now so i like, know <laughs> i know i know there's so yeah, much this to is cover. gonna be a bumper episode everybody so you know like unfortunately this ends up being like you know, three and a half hours long then you know i have to apologize like yeah. you know there's just so much to talk about anyway let's get the other bit of bad news of Disney out of the way whilst uh, we're talking about this. So, Elemental, I mean, here's the thing about this. We haven't seen Elemental yet, and the reason we haven't seen Elemental yet is because, obviously, it releases in America first, and then, no, uh, obviously, we get it here in the UK at the end of the month. So, you know, it was so annoying because we wanted to do um, Elemental, and we wanted to do um, Teenage Kraken, you know, before, you know, obviously, you know, Patricia left to go to the US, but unfortunately, here in the UK, they're releasing at the end of the month, so we can't see them yet. Yeah. So, yeah, that it, it, it really, It really does does suck, especially since we Sometimes were. Sometimes we even get them before the U.S. I don't know what that's about. Like you know, I I don't get it either. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I just want to tell you about that. Um, the it, it underperformed pretty badly in the box office. Yeah, and unfortunately, this just goes back to the fact that you know, one thing we noticed is that uh, when we were in London, one thing that we saw on buses was uh, we saw a lot of for the next Final Fantasy game. We saw a lot of advertisements for, like various other things. Nothing for Elemental. Z- we we even saw one poster on the bus for Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken but nothing for Elemental no po- we were in London we, we no posters no TV advertisements nothing on the buses and we went up and down the West End as well and like you know we saw all sorts of advertisements for all sorts of things that were non-theater related and yeah we now saw one thing for Disney's Elemental at Zero. all Zero. Where, where are where is Disney's advertising budget gone I like, don't know this is another thing that we said about Strange World <laughs> are you doing literally all of your advertisements online like you can't do that we've talked about this already uh, it made me wonder i think again i think disney are so unaware about where they are right now like i just think that i think they're just assuming that oh the disney fans are gonna are gonna be just aware of elemental so once they are aware of elemental they're just gonna go off and see it no no like that's not how life works unfortunately you need to advertise your 
stuff out there. On top of that, you need to get new fans as well. So, like, you know, you're going to want to, like, advertise on buses. You're going to advertise in the, you know, the, the usual spaces, everything like that. Like, you're going to want to, like, run, you know, ads and, and stuff. Like, because if you don't do that, you know, um, if you just rely on word of mouth alone amongst just the Disney fans, well, that's all you're going to get, Disney fans, effectively. Yeah. Like, you know, remember when you go to see Lightyear and what? There was, like, only like, eight people eight people in the theatre for a theatre of 300. Yes. And, like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, and they're all Disney fans, like us. Like, you know, it's just, it's uh, it's not good enough. Yeah, uh, and, 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 the box and exactly. There were Disney fans who were adults like us. No children went to go see Lightyear because they went to go see Jurassic World Dominion. I was in the restroom. Aaron was waiting for me. He saw a whole bunch of kids walking out the theater of Jurassic World Dominion. And then I got back and I was like, hey, you know, what happened? And he told me what happened. And I was just like shocked. It's like, wait a minute. Those are the same kids that should be watching Lightyear. And now we're going to be repeating it again with Elemental because it only made thirty million dollars in this. I, I week. guarantee you, they probably. I mean, I don't know if the Super Mario Brothers movies com- completed its uh, theater run yet, but uh, I mean, like, uh, if Elemental comes out and Super Mario Brothers movie is still on, I would not be too surprised if uh, there's more bigger audiences, I think, for a Super Mario Brothers movie than there are for uh, you know Elemental. I would not be surprised whatsoever. Yeah, and uh, according to what various articles says, they said that this is by and large. The worst opening weekend for Pixar ever, even beating Lightyear. That's sad. That is really sad. I mean, the only thing is that I mean, apparently it's not been a very good uh, opening weekend for a lot of movies. Apparently, The Flash only was like you know three hundred thousand dollars, you know, yeah, ahead exactly. of uh, of um, yeah. So I mean, it's not been good for DC either. Pretty much, you know, this weekend either. Yeah, so, the, like, the only uh, thing that has made at least a decent amount of money this weekend was Across the Spider Verse. Well, yeah, for obvious reasons, it's Across the Spider Verse, and so maybe that's what they make. That's the decision that they're making. Maybe they're going to see by Spider Verse and uh, not going to see that. Yeah, it's I mean, kind of where, crazy. Little Mermaid in all this mix, by the way. Well, Little Mermaid is doing fine. You know, it's actually getting, uh, you know, a significant amount of money, and critics have actually been saying that it's... You know what? That's even worse, because that's going to... You know that's going to encourage Disney to say, okay, we're going to make more of these live-action remakes, because now people are like... You know, they've, they finally had, like, multiple attempts to make a good live-action remake, and now, finally, one has finally arrived. And uh, But now, unfortunately, the message that that's Disney are going to get is that, oh, now we're going to make more of them. We're going to make even more of them now. Yeah, like, and this is what concerning me and this is a major concern remember when I was talking about Rebecca before like you know when we were talking in casual chats about you know uh, the, the Owl House when we were talking about her about you know things that were going on yes. my biggest fear is I said to her like look if either the Owl House or Amphibia or like any of these other shows did come back I guarantee you like, Disney might be looking at it and saying well we've got to do it live action and uh, that, that, you know, after seeing what's happened with Little Mermaid and seeing what's happened to Elemental, I, that would be the message I believe that Disney you know, higher ups will probably get from all of that. The the live action stuff is what people want to go and see. When in actual fact, it isn't. It's just it's just what people are tolerating right now. Well, or it could be that they don't want original stories anymore, and they just want sequels and spinoffs and reboots. I just read an article where they were talking about the same thing for video games. It's like we're getting a lot of remakes, reboots, spinoffs, remasters of video games. You know something? I'm just looking at the fact that, you know, apparently um, Christmas Eddie over at Illumination has uh, poo-pooed any talks that apparently that there's going to be a Zelda movie. Uh, oh, yeah. So we yeah. talked about that before. Yes, we did. Apparently now he's saying that apparently there is no discussions going on about that. Maybe this might be an opportunity for Disney to move in on Shigeru Miyamoto and say, oh, hey, you did really well with that uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers movie. Do you Would you like to go to Disney and make the Zelda movie? Oh, man, imagine that. Mm. Imagine Disney going over to Miyamoto saying, we're going to make a Zelda movie. 
movie. When Disney, for the most part, do original stories or they've adapted from classic literature. I mean, like, well, I mean, at the moment, like, what else could they do to try? I mean, they've got Inside Out 2 going to be coming out soon. they got, you know, Toy Story 5 is going to be their, their next thing. Frozen 3 is uh, going to be their next thing. So they are, you know, uh, saying, oh, hey, people still want to see more of this stuff, which, you know, unfortunately, the answer will be yes. I mean, people will want to see some more, more of this, unfortunately. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, like, imagine, I always said from the beginning, so Frozen 3 was inevitable, I think. I you know, know that. You, you, can't, you can't ignore for the power of Frozen. Yeah, uh, I, I, we're, we're, we're breaking away from what we're discussing about. We're know, ta- what, we, what we're saying is that, you know, right now, Elemental is underperforming at the box office. This is another original story that, uh, you know, Disney Pixar has brought out that's not doing very well. And... Uh, which is really unfair when you really think about it, because I think if Turning Red was released in theaters, I think it would do well. I agree. I think compared to all the other ones, and so I think until we're actually seeing Elemental, I guess in the theater, I mean, there's not really much we can say about how, what went wrong besides the fact that it wasn't advertised well. Yeah, it wasn't advertised very well, and we even saw like a brief discussion of it with Saber Spark, where people were saying like they didn't care about the look of this movie; they just felt it was like derivative. It's like oh, it's like Zootopia but with elements on it, or oh. It's like the Which same. Which is sad when you really think about it, because the person who created this was basing this off personal experiences. Yes, and that's another thing from Peter Sohn. Is this is the same guy who did the Good Dinosaur, by the way? Where I'm starting to notice a pattern with his style of doing of doing movies. He's only done two: this and um, Elemental, where he seems to focus on character pieces, where the characters are the focus on this and not the story. The stories are simple, but the characters is what makes it more interesting. Good Dinosaur, unfortunately, failed at both of them. But you know, if that was the vision that he was going for fine but yeah you're right elemental is based off of his own personal experiences as somebody who was immigrated you know into america and it's going over this love story about these two complete opposites who are trying to make their way into like a society that is just separate and they're trying to be together i like the idea of that story uh whether they executed well or not is again we don't, we're not sure because we haven't seen the movie well, I mean, I can definitely say about the good dinosaur. I mean, I called it a tech demo when it You came pretty out. much yeah. did, yes. And I just pretty much said that we've already seen this story better elsewhere. Land Before Time did it better. Jurassic Park did it better. Um, uh, you know, uh, Old Yeller did it better. Like, the whole boy and his dog thing. We've seen it better in other places, so... I, I, I don't. I really hope this isn't going to be his MO at Pixar because if it's going to be like, you know, take existing elements and do them badly, I, I guarantee you, like, you know, Pixar should not hold on to this guy. You know, they're talking about all the layoffs at the moment. Like, you know, like, why are we keeping hold of people who have been involved in failed projects for Pixar? Seriously, when we're keeping the people who, like, you know, who have, like, you know, uh, sorry, they're getting rid of people who have been really, like, you know, been really um, good for Pixar's, like, you know, mechanics, if you're, like, you know, like the, the person who saved, you know, uh, Toy, Toy Story, Story 2. 2 from, like, you know, going down the pan. Like, you know, like, uh, is it just me? Like, you know, are they starting to get rid of people who actually are useful and they're keeping hold of people who, like, I don't know, like, uh, are just not all that great at being, doing what they do? I, I have, no. No, I, I don't know, and I cannot uh, say about who is good or who is bad that's not my place to say it but i'm just saying that well, look at the projects they've been involved in I mean like good dinosaur for example why are we keeping hold of the guy who did the good dinosaur and now is going on to do elemental which is now performed badly at the box office what's his what's his justification for staying at pixar I, again i i cannot say but anyway yeah, we're not doing it surely are we doing three strikes are we doing three strikes you're out with these movies like if you've done three bad movies then quite frankly you're not going to stay at pixar 
I mean, is that is that, is that how we're doing this now? I have not? no idea. But anyway, the, another thing that a lot of people have been pointing out on why Elemental has not really generated a lot of viewership is because they're saying that Pixar is biting off way more than they can chew in terms of their production. We talked about this in the Cannes Film Festival that, um, you know, uh, P-Doctor was promoting oh, about... That, that, that interview still ringing in my ears, by the way, from last week. You yes. Know, yeah, I like it. It's just, it's, you know, it's like, um, it's stop making excuses. You know, like, you know, the Super Mario Bros. movie is like, you know, going to town at the moment. And, uh, you know, everyone everyone seems to love that movie because obviously for what it is. You know, take a, take, take a element, do it completely right, and then obviously release it in theaters with some, with some bulk advertising on it. And I guarantee you're going to have a successful movie. You know, like, uh, so, I mean, that whole Variety article, I just, I just don't buy from everything that he says. Well, I was just going to bring up the whole uh, discussion that he was promoting, like, you know, the technology that they were able to do to make Elemental. Like, you know, oh, we worked really hard on the technology and, you know, we, we had more computer generated um, equipment that we've ever had in any movie that we've ever done before. And it's a really pricey movie it's 200 million dollars whereas something like spider-man across the spider-verse and the super mario brothers movie were both 100 million dollars so or even like from, nine- what, from what spider sabers park was saying apparently this is more this is made to took more money to make than both spider-verse and mario movie combined correct and the reason why is because they've you know they've done less per, you know they, they spend less on the production of it because you know where elemental was trying to like push the techniques and all of that kind of stuff the art Industry of Spider-Verse was done by a massive group of people. Over 1,000 people worked on the movie, yet the production of it was about like maybe 90 to 100 million. And then you had the Super Mario Brothers movie, which has Illumination. You, that, that does make you ask a couple of questions about like, you know, who's not who's not getting their fair share of the pie in that, in that production, don't you think? Hmm. Yeah, I'd ask questions about that personally for myself. Sure. But the, the point was is that a lot of people are saying that, you know, Pixar are spending too much money on producing a lot of their films because you have other movies that are doing less money on their films and they're getting more critical acclaim. I think the justification for it is that, like, if they are doing something which is obviously breaking the mold of how we make um, movies in this, then, you know, I think there is, I mean, somewhere down the line, maybe these uh, techniques will pay for themselves because, well, you know, Right now, we're going through, like, a, a drab patch. Don't you agree? Like, you know, we've had Lightyear. We've had, um, you know, Elemental. And to be now soon, somewhere down the line, we're going to be getting Inside Out 2. We're going to be getting some other... Uh, you know, Elio. is going to be coming out soon. By the way, Elio is like... I'm, I'm, you know, after watching the trailer, like, uh, I have some concerns about Elio as well. But, uh, I mean, the fact that they're going to be doing uh, Toy Story 5, the fact that they're going to be doing Inside Out 2, you know, like, uh, maybe some of those techniques could be put into those movies. Maybe those movies will do really well. And maybe, like, uh, the future movies... That uh, basically will be doing all this type of thing hopefully will be justification for what they did with Elemental I'm hoping anyway. yeah I'm, I'm hoping too because that's a lot of money to put on the screen and nobody's watching it and then you just never use that technique to again. be fair though I mean like it hasn't that was Pixar's like existence back you know, in the 80s and the 90s like you know spending a lot of money that uh, they don't know if they were going to get back and then obviously they pay dividends you know in the, in the future so like you know like, keep in mind like Toy Story was like a massive risk for them wasn't it like, yes it you know, was Disney's even, even banked on that risk as well back when they weren't doing so great so like you know obviously and uh, the, the, bit, the bit of the renaissance was still like you know yet to uh, you know really take hold so I mean um, I could probably imagine that uh, you know Pixar right now they're going through a bad patch at the minute but hopefully what they're doing now you know might you know hopefully they'll like have a, a really big thing that'll happen in the future and hopefully all of that that we can turn around and say oh yeah it's a good thing that they did all that stuff because eventually it paid off <laughs> 
Bless, bless you. Yeah, I'm just going to read off something that uh, the Financial Times posted on, um, you know, Elemental, where they were saying that... Um, <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. Um, Elemental has had some positive reactions from critics and audiences, but the film brought in less than $30 million in the U.S. box office on its opening weekend, a significant shortfall for a movie with an estimated $200 million budget. The poor showing had sounded alarms following the underwhelming performance of last year's Lightyear. And according to... Um, uh, you know, somebody from, uh, what was it? like okay. And he said, it's been a while since there's been something like Toy Story, something extraordinary, that original, and it means a lot for somebody. And they were just showing off the mega hits um, for all the other movies, like... Um like, uh, let's see, Avatar The Way of Water, Frozen 2, The Incredibles 2, Avengers Endgame, Star Force, The Force Awakens, and the 2019 Lion King movie, where they were able to pull off, like, billions upon billions of dollars, whereas something like Elemental was just struggling. And then they showed off another comparison between uh, Sony Pictures Animation, uh, Illumination, and DreamWorks, where they were able to show off all the movies that they were able to do, where Illumination started off with like about one billion in 2016, but now they're climbing up to eight. And you have uh, Sony Pictures Animation, which may be like less than a billion in 2016. Now they're up to three. DreamWorks was like less than a billion dollars in 2016. Now they're up to two. Pixar uh, is about like a billion and now they're up to six. But I've seen that around 2020, their numbers have been stagnated. Whereas Illumination and Sony Pictures Animation have been climbing. Yeah, well, like uh, again, like uh, it goes back to uh, you know Pixar's attitude in regards to how they're dealing with this. Like you know, he's like, oh well, uh, we're going to tell original stories, and uh, you know, just it's um, you know, I, I, I tell you, what, actually, I can't remember exactly what Pete Dawson says. I don't really want like you know quote him quote, 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 but I got to be honest with you, a lot of the things that he was saying at the time, he just he just sounded like he was making excuse after excuse after excuse. Yeah, he was like, talking about like uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the oh yeah, like kids that weren't didn't want to go to the theater no more, which is bollocks. So, like it's it's just it's uh, you. You know, um, look at the Super Mario Brothers movie. Look at Spider Verse. Look at like some of the other movies that are coming out right now. People are going to the theater. They just don't want to see your freaking movie. Yeah, and then there was also the discussion about like you know it's it gets more expensive. That you know, in addition to like you know paying for tickets, you also have to pay for like popcorn and snacks. And you know that kids are accustomed to watching our movies on Disney Plus and not doing it in the theaters bullshit, anymore. Bullshit! Bullshit! I'm sorry. They're just uh, it's just no. I I can't accept this. You know, quite frankly, you know, if this continues, people. Dogs is, you know, where he, he's got to go, I think, you know, and uh, also, you know, uh, I don't know where Domi she is or is in all of this. Like, you know, she, we, haven't heard from, we haven't heard a peep from her recently. Not, not, a, not in a while. Where's she gone all of a sudden? I have no idea. <laughs> Good grief. Like, you know, it's just, it's like, you know, um, sorry, but, you know, you, you have to do better. You really have to do better. And uh, everyone else right now is laughing at you in, in, in regards to all of this. They're uh, not laughing. They're just disappointed. Well, I mean, it's, uh, well, I mean, they're obviously going off to Illumination and going off to, I mean, they're laughing at other movies. You know, in that in that regard, they're just not laughing at Pixar movies at the moment. Like it's just it's uh, again, it's not good enough. You know, in uh, in what they're doing, and uh, there's uh, you know, if this continues, I think there's got to be a change. I think over at Pixar, I think because you know it's uh, there's already enough people who are losing their jobs over at that studio, and we don't need any more people losing there because obviously because you know um, you know uh, Pixar can't draw a dime. It's not it's not good enough. Yeah. So the next time that we're going to be talking about Elemental, hopefully by then we would have seen it, and we will be giving you. That will be one of the very few people who have seen it as well. Actually, if funny enough, you know uh, what's our like uh, highest you know uh, view count on a Pixmix episode at the minute? I'm trying to think. Is it the uh, was it the Incredibles episode? Yes, it was. Was it was well. I'm 
mean, like I, I showed us a thing. You know, also Lightyear didn't do, do, do didn't do all that well when we when we reviewed it either. Not even close. I know. Like, I'm I'm shuddering to think how what, what people going to be you know watching our elemental review. I don't think there are many people going to be watching it. No, I, I don't, don't think, think they're going to be watching it. When I posted it up on both um, the YouTube page and on the podcast feed, it, it, it didn't even make a dent to compare to like all the other Pixar films that we've talked about. Well, as something like The Bad Guys, when we talked about that film, uh, we got at least 2,000 listeners. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, I mean, um, it makes you wonder like, you know, if, um, if for us, like, you and I do these reviews because we like doing them. You yes, know, we do. In that, in that regard. I mean, we don't do it for views and we don't do it for like, you know, we don't, we don't you know, these aren't our, like our, you know, our major jobs or anything like that. You know, we obviously, we have, we have real lives outside of this podcast. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, again, like if if you were doing these reviews uh, for you know hoping to make you know a lot of money out of them, like I guarantee you, I, I think uh, unless you are like Saber Spark or if you are like you know some of the other reviewers out there, like you know who bring in viewers just because of if, like who you are rather than like you know the movie that you're reviewing. Quite frankly, it's uh, you know uh, you're not going to want to do this movie at all. Yeah, like know? I'm just looking at our YouTube views for both. Oh, yeah, I'm and just looking the at now the bad guys. the bad guys did 2.1,000 hits. Uh, on that one, and like that's our is that our biggest you um, know, uh, one for for Dream Machine? Is I it? have no idea, but it, it might be one of our biggest. Yeah, exactly, and uh, I can see why because like you know, a lot of people have seen this movie and want to hear our opinions on it. Whilst yeah. you know uh, other people who have not seen this movie, you know, uh, don't really who never really cared to begin with, you know, don't care. You yeah, uh, I would say that um, for uh, Lightyear, yeah, it, it only received like 367 views compared to the bad guys, 2.1, you know, v- uh, K views. So, yeah, let's just uh, put it this way. Um, yeah, I don't think that people are going to be really gravitating to our discussion of Elemental compared to if we were to talk about Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, or if we did see Across the Spider-Verse. So, yeah. I wonder if we can spend most of the time seeing how we can get banned off YouTube, effectively, and see if we can get away with it, you know? Like, <laughs> I wonder if we could always do that instead of doing an Elemental episode. I'm not so sure. Anyway, the point is, is that Pixar is in major trouble, and they need to do something about it. Yep. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So Disney is releasing an animated feature on the European champion Linuses. Now, I thought that this was actually pretty interesting. I, I love this idea. I love the idea that, you know, um, Disney are going to be taking on this. Because, I mean, we don't really see them, like, you know, unless it's like, you know, oh, it's the, the Disney princess in, like, you know, this European city, you know, from 70 centuries ago. Like, you know, that's not, that's usually how, you know, some of their main women are portrayed. Let's be honest yeah. about that. But this is different. Like, you know, this is going to be, uh, it's so... Uh, um, I'm just looking for it here. So, head of the Women's uh, World Cup starting in uh, July of uh, July 20th. Uh, Disney have teamed up with England Football to release a short animation on the European Ch- Champions Women's National Team to highlight the pathway for young girls who seek to pursue a career in the game. Titled Ella, uh, the, the Modern Day Fairy Tale, the, modern, the film is a reworked working of a Disney Cinderella story narrated by fa- former England great Alex Scott. Now a television presenter and uh, featuring uh, current Lionesses star Lucy Bronze, Lucy Bron- uh, Leah Williamson and Lauren James as uh, animated godmothers. Um, so uh, the story allows a uh, primary school girl to overcome the barrier of uh, uh, the school of her friends as she follows her passion to play the game. It is aimed at shining a light uh, on the Disney's inspired choosing star program for aged girls between 5 and 11, where they can develop skills such as fundamental movements, listening, speaking skills, and through the magic of a Disney storytelling. I mean, for uh, just right off the bat, I love this idea. I, I know that uh, for a lot of uh, young girls who are going to be watching this, um, they would be empowered in a 
different way. I mean, we've had many uh, empowering, you know, female uh, portrayals in various animated features, whether it be like, you know, a person who went through war like Persephilus or, you know, somebody who wants to, you know, go off and uh, be a hero or somebody who wants to, um, you know, invent something. But now we have a girl who wants to go off and play football who wants to go out and do sports and you know it's kind of funny because back then people would have been you know like girls would have been teased like this it's like saying oh you know you can't play this because you're a girl and all you know making her like a you know making making fun of her saying like you know she's a big old tomboy or something like that but there's something like this that would like give inspiration for young girls to say no you can do this is actually pretty inspiring yeah like you know back in the 90s we got things like you know well like the you know back you know when we were the little giants and like oh yeah little giants the girl wants to play football like you know she can't do that yeah like, she's you know, a girl she's a girl that, that used to be the attitude of like every like kids sports films wasn't it like yeah you know, little giants won- uh big green she's 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 the man she's the man mighty ducks yeah she's like you know this is this trope is gone now and to be honest with you i'm pretty happy this trope is gone i like, do you know, I, yeah. I do agree yeah she's like you know it's just it's uh i think uh, now you know women's football is becoming a huge thing women's uh, super league now is starting to become quite a big thing here in the uk like i see highlights about it all the time and people are watching it and uh, also i mean like women's football in the in the u.s is also huge as well it is massive it is just as massive as men's soccer where you know women would go and they would play these massive games and people would be coming in for miles just so that they, they can be able to watch them it's you know and we even have just recently in my hometown we started to get a football club and i'm sure that they'll have one for the women at some point too so yeah it's becoming huge nowadays yeah so i mean like uh, I, I'm really got things you know God Disney's actually getting involved in this actually this is one of like the very few positives we can say about Disney right now they're getting involved in positive things like this you know like you know, they're doing like a Disney-esque kind of like you know uh, uh, you know short about you know a girl who wants to play football and you know you've got like all the lionesses but you know being the quote-unquote godmothers and all of this you know trying to inspire her like you know that's a modern tale you know that uh, Disney should be getting involved in. heck maybe that's what Pixar should be doing you know like you know, maybe that's the thing they should be they should be doing right well, now I mean technically in- they will be with lo- win lose or draw with the f- focusing on a kids' softball team. Well, that's a different. That's actually something like a, like a story about a baseball game from different, different people's perspective, maybe. So yeah, who knows? Maybe I may get something similar like that. But yeah, I'm actually talking about like you know, how about a movie where you know a girl wants to play football? I mean, know? we already have bended be- bended like Beckham or well, something. Well, I mean, like yeah, but like you know, you know what I mean. Like you know, give it the Pixar magic. You know what I'm saying? Oh sure, sure. Yeah, but this is Disney, not it, Pixar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds better than Elemental. Don't we? Well, it sounds better than some of the other things that we've been had Pixar thrown in front of it recently. Mm. You know. You know, like I just think uh, I would like to see you know something that's you know you know if you want to do something that's like you know based off a property but it's like an original story. I mean, like this sounds like it's it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I think that it will inspire a lot of people to go into sports, kind of like how, you know, various athletes were able to do so well with sports. That Or if, if you want, do baseball. Like, you know, uh, do a baseball movie, maybe. Like, you know, we we, we already that. have a lot of baseball movies, to be fair. Well, but- not one from Pixar, at least. Well, I mean, like I said, win, lose, or draw. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to get that sooner, yeah. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, so, I mean, what I'm saying is that maybe if you don't want to do, like, something that's already exists, maybe you do something that, like, is, like, an like an existing concept, but do, like, an original spin on it, maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe do that. I think, I think do, something, do something that be, a lot of people will relate to. Mm-hmm, you know? I agree. All right, then, so, uh, well, that's that. So, yep. uh, we'll look forward to that. Okay, so, um, 
let's quickly uh, jump on this bit because, like, uh, this is a crazy story. So, oh, boy. So, uh, Turner Classic Movies apparently was facing the axe. Yep. Uh, for, for they were facing the axe, and a lot of people who were a part of this were fired because Dave Slazov just cannot stop firing people. <laughs> so, let's uh, talk about this. So, uh, let's see. Uh, we have Executive VP and General Manager Pola Chagnon, Senior VP of Programming and Content Strategy Charles Tapish, VP of Brand Creative and Marketing, Dexter Fedor, VP of Enterprises and Strategic Partnerships, Geneve McGillicuddy. And these are the people who are involved of the Turner Classic Movies Department, including the annual TCM Film Festival, and finally, the Vice President of Studio Production, Ann Wilson. All of these people who were involved with Turner Classic Movies were fired, and most likely because of that, Turner Classic Movies is going to be axed and gone forever. And it pissed off a lot of people who grew up with Turner Classic Movies. It wasn't just like a channel that showcased like classic movies from like, you know, the 20s all the way up until like the 60s and 70s. No, 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 no. This was basically like a major archival place where you got to learn behind the scenes stories of the making of the movie. And you got to have various interviews from film directors on why the movie inspired them the way that it did. It, it was a very important piece of history. That was preserved. And we already talked about just a few minutes ago about the importance of preservation with Disney losing nearly 95% of their material. So it pissed off the likes of Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson having an emergency meeting with David Slazov about the future of Turner Classic Movies. I mean, like, uh, that must be the most embarrassing meeting to be put in front of. Like, you know, some of the most creative, some of the most, you know, um, inspiring, you know, directors of, like, you know, some of our, you know, iconic movies, like, you know, E.T., you know, like, uh, some, some of the, like, very other ones as well. Like, you know, that, that must be pretty, pretty embarrassing meeting to be in to say, you know, please, can you not, you know, uh, get rid of this thing? Because, you know, a lot of people do. And by the way, there's a lot of people who like Turner Classic Movies. I mean, you and I made fun of them in, 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 in the beginning. Like, you remember, like, you know, when they did, like, the version of 36 Hours, which, you know, obviously you and I did not like all that. All that oh, much. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The, 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 no, that was TNT. That was TNT. Well, I mean, isn't this the same thing? Like, you know, Turner, you know, Turner, well, Turner Classic Movies, they... they uh, yeah, they, 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 that's a... Yes, it is part of Turner, yes, yeah. but Turner Classic Movies will be showcasing, like, the good, you know, like, theatrical classic movies from, like, the olden days. Like, you know, the, not the TV movies like TNT did. Oh, no, okay. Then that's that's not, a completely different story. Yeah, actually, I mean, you got to forgive me, everybody, because, like, you know, you know, TNT, TCM, like, you know, uh, they were all back in the day. Like, you know, I used to only chain into those into those like uh, channels when uh, you know WCW Monday Night Raw was going to be on like on Mondays. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like you know, it's like it's uh, so. I mean, um, the one thing I'll say uh, about all of this is that you know this again is an embarrassing meeting to be in. You know the fact that you have tried to make this decision and then you got word from like you know some of the most popular directors you know of the time and then they come in there and they say what on earth is going on and so you know you're making mistakes when all that's kind of going on. In yeah. Like, so I'm opinion. just going to read off a statement that Stephen Martin and Paul had issued to David. Turner Classic Movies has always been more than just a channel. It is a precious resource of cinema, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And while it has never been a financial juggernaut, it has always been a profitable endeavor since its inception. Earlier this week, David Slazoff, the CEO of Warner Brothers, got in touch about restructuring 
TCM. We understand the pressures and realities of a corporation as large as Warner Brothers, of which TCM is one moving part. We have spent time talking to David separately and together, and it is clear that classic cinema and TCM are important to him. Our primary aim is to ensure that TCM's program is untouched and protected. We are heartened and encouraged by the conversations we had thus far, and we are committed to working together to ensure the continuation of this cultural touchstone that we treasure. So... Yeah, the fact that they say that, you know, that they want this protected and that David Slasov claims that, you know, this is very important to him. I don't know. The fact that you fired off pretty much everybody who worked on Turner Classic Movies shows of how much you really care about it. Yeah, like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, like, this was a really big mistake to make, and you've pissed off the wrong people. I, you, piss, so- you pissed off Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, and Paul Anderson. Imagine trying to get these guys back to do another Warner Brothers movie again. Oh. Like, you know, good grief. The, the, the relationship surely has been soured, hasn't it? Severely. Like, man, it's gotta suck when you have three of the most iconic directors of all time going over to an executive and saying, you done goofed. You fucked up. What the hell are you doing? You're 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 basically ripe. You're basically you know doing a major uh, mistake that's going to wipe away decades of classic film history. Stop it, man. Just what the hell? Seriously. And remember when we were having like this debate about like you know who was the worst of the CEOs? Whether it was going to be like David Slasoff or Bob Chappick? And you know people were saying like Chappick was the worst, but now we're seeing that no, maybe Slasov is actually the worst because at least you know sure Chappick fired a lot of people. In yes, de- in defense of Slasov, I mean like uh, he is now involved in this really disastrous merger that's happening between Warner Brothers and Discovery, and uh, he's having to like do uh, you know basically have to find out how he's going to wipe out all this debt off this company. So I think uh, that's the uh, unfortunately I don't think uh, Slasov I think is in much of a f- fun position to be in. Like you know he's having to find cost cutting measures somewhere, and uh, but unfortunately every time he uh, looks at one, you know, it turns out to be something that people actually like. So, like, unfortunately, I mean, like, I, again, like, we, we criticize Sazlov for, like, everything that he's done and, like, the way that he behaves and stuff like that. I mean, like, but at the same time, like, he's also in this pretty incredibly bad situation that he also finds himself in. So, I mean, like, uh, but at the same time, I mean, he, he, he is the CEO and he, he's put himself in the hot seat and he seems to know what he needs to do about that. But unfortunately, all the decisions that he seems to make are always the wrong ones. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm just hoping that they're able to, you know, save, you know, Turner Classic Movies. Because without it, a lot of history of what we know of, of various... To be fair, though, like, you know, how many many 80s, 90s kids are probably listening to this podcast and watching Turner Classic Movies? Not a lot, because it's not their classics. It would most likely be... Yeah, exactly. It would most likely be their parents' classics or their grandparents' classics. But I'm sure that if you're at a certain age and you're going over to film school, you're going to be learning about this stuff anyway. Could you imagine if uh, one of these days we, like, you know, we we tune into Turner Classic Movies, like, you know, when we're in, like, our 50s and 60s, something like that, and Space Jam comes on, and like, oh my god, we are so old. Yeah, and then you're going to have, like, a, a hoity-toity director coming along with his uh, pipe and sitting on, like, a, a massive armchair with a fireplace in the background talking about, like, Space Jam was culturally significant because it was able to take a 30-second commercial and turn it into gold. Grandpa Aaron, is that the one that stars LeBron James? Is like, we do not speak of it here. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh dare the kids not appreciate the classics. These yeah, these kids are not all right. 
<laughs> Why don't they remember Michael Jordan? Oh, I'm old. Why am I having an accent? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, so that's that. I mean, we'll probably move on to the next Cartoon Network bit of news, I guess. Yes, and so, please. Uh, so, Cartoon Network and Max have revealed the Tiny Toons Luniversity voice cast. So, uh, we have now got the talented voices now all in a row. So Yes, we do. And, uh, yeah, a lot of it uh, is going to be different because we've already mentioned this before that this is basically a new version of Tiny Toon Adventures. It's not like Animaniacs in which they got most, if not all, the voice cast. And then they got some, like, new characters. But, yeah, for the most part, with the exception of maybe, like... Uh, like you know the modern you know interpretations of these classic Looney Tunes characters everybody is different so let's talk about that shall we so the voices of Buster and Babs are completely different what was once originally Charles Adler and Tress McNeil are going to be played by Eric Bauza and Ashley Hairston so yeah I mean Eric Bauza needs no introduction he has been the voice of Bugs and Daffy and various other Looney Tunes characters for about 10 years now and he's been voicing him in like the um, the new Looney Tunes cartoons that have been up on Cartoon Network and Max, and he's been doing a lot of other, you know, interpretations of the classic Looney Well, Tunes. it makes sense to make him the lead, because, you know, like, you know, Buster Bunny, effectively, we're supposed to be like, you know, the smaller version of Bugs Bunny, effectively. Like, you know, that's it, that's it, that's, that was his whole thing, wasn't yes, it? Yes, so. yes. And it's described here, Emmy Award winner Eric Bowser as Buster Bunny, Babs twin. So yeah, they're twins in this one, and we said this before, they're related. They are not friends. Babs Twin is the kind of best friend anyone could ask for with an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Toon, which I guess makes a lot of sense because we know that the original Buster Bunny always wanted to be like a crazy like Toon. He wanted to learn everything about it. He was always the wacky one. He looked up to Bus uh, to Bugs Bunny, so it makes a lot of sense. And now we have um, Ashley Hairston as Babs Bunny. Uh, Babs... <sighs> Bless you. Bless me again. Yeah, by the way, I think um, she reminds me of something. I don't know uh, what her previous uh, roles were. If uh, Have we actually got you know uh, confirmation on that? I'm actually looking at that now, actually, while you're doing that. Yeah, so, so Ashley Harrison is Babs Bunny, and it says, Babs Bunny hops through life with an in-it-to-win-it attitude. So, Oh, she was actually, she was the voice of Ren, and she was the head writer of Craig of the Creek. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's where, that's where I've seen her from, yeah. And, yeah, I, I think that uh, with Babs's uh, interpretation, it's going to be slightly different from the looks of it because she was always like the diva and she was always like um you know somebody who always was kind of like on the spotlight so if she has an in it to win it attitude i guess it kind of does make a little bit of sense okay so uh david ergo jr is going to be both hampton pig and plucky duck which in the original was voiced by um don messick and joe alaski makes a lot of sense because they're both dead now and by the way for those of you who do not know he was ferb fletcher and phineas and ferb that's right yes he is the yeah he is the uh, the new uh, uh, voice of uh, Ferb and Phineas and Ferb. So let me just read off what it says here. Uh, Hampton Pig is a nervous sweet as a peach cobbler pie uh, who is an acme to become the first tune in his family to be a doctor, repairing other tunes who have been bonked, spronked, and splatted. While as Plucky is a joyfully snobbish mallard who is an expert at putting himself first. Okay, so they're both pretty consistent with their original counterparts where Plucky was basically the snobbish one and Hampton was kind of like the nervous one that is consistent with both of them uh, although the whole doctor thing for Hampton I don't know if that was in the original I don't think it was now we have uh, Tessa Netling as Sweetie Bird which originally was played by Candy Milo which by the way we'll get to in a minute so it's it's described as a punk rebel canary Sweetie Bird is here to smash the patriarchy and rock campus karaoke night the original Sweetie was nothing like this 
She was just like the cute little bird akin to like Tweety Bird, which makes a lot of sense. And she was barely in the series. Uh, by the way, uh, she was also uh, a part of the Billy Elliot the Musical uh, cast, uh, for those of you who don't know what to do. And also, she's a YouTuber host and uh, an all-around geek, uh, according, to her, according to her biography. Okay, yeah. So now that is it for the main cast of the Tiny Toons characters, which is interesting because we don't have all the other ones. I mean, there's no Montana Max. There's no... I mean, I know Elmira is not going to be in it. They've already stated this last year. Elmira Duff is not going to be in Tiny Toons Luniversity. I don't know if it was because of the controversies with the character or maybe they are going to maybe have like a new spin on Elmira. That's something different. But yeah, as of right now, Montana and Elmira are not in it. Neither is Shirley the Loom. Nor, neither is Fifi LaFume. Neither is Arnold the Pitbull or Foulmouth or any of those or even Furball or any of these characters. They're probably waiting to see how season one goes. And I mean, mind you, uh, I think season two probably might already be in the bag for I think, uh, Tiny Toons Luniversity. I wouldn't I be surprised. But then again, they might go into the, the reboot of Animaniacs in which like they brought the popular characters while all the other characters like Katie Kaboom and the Hippos and the Pigeons were completely scrapped. And then they favored like Yakko Wacko Dodd, Pinky and the Brain and the newer characters. Yeah. So I think, well, actually that might be one of the things that might be reason they might be doing this. It might be like, you know, because uh, I mean like, you know, uh, I don't know if you're bringing Arnold the Pitbull back in like, obviously it was based on Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes. wasn't he? So like, I don't know if kids today would get the Arnold Schwarzenegger re- references all that much. I think they probably would want characters of like your know, other characters that, you know, they probably were grown up with. Like, for example, like, you know, uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man maybe, like, you know, uh, maybe there might be a character based on him maybe. Oh, like, sure. You know, on his, you know, like, uh, so I think they probably would be looking to do, you know, more modern takes, I think, on, uh, you know, uh, parody. Uh, uh, imagine a character that was inspired by Dwayne Johnson. Uh, I, I could see that. I, I could absolutely see that. Like, so I think, you know, um, so things like that, I think will probably be the norm. I think with, you know, cartoons going forward, that like, do get rebooted. They will probably, you know, get rid of the characters who, like, you know, were part of, like, the yesteryear, and they'll bring in characters who are, like, you know, part of, like, you know, the modern, you know, popular scene, I probably imagine. So, unfortunately, that probably means that we're probably going to see a lot of characters that are probably based on YouTubers as well, which, you know, I kind of cringe at, really. Yeah, let, let's just move on to the, the Looney Tunes characters, a.k.a. the faculty, which they were in the original as well so you have bugs bunny you have daffy duck you have sylvester porky you have granny you have witch hazel taz and yosemite sam so jeff Bur- see witch hazel in that that's quite that's quite interesting yeah we had witch hazel i don't believe was in the original tiny tunes yeah i think i guess they're gonna do some magic i guess yeah well or you know practicing witchcraft and stuff like that which um it'd be interesting so jeff bergman is going to What's be this my pretties i learned this from a witch from a love with a with an arm missing <laughs> And you just deafened the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, so Jeff Bergman is going to be Bugs, Sylvester, and Foghorn Leghorn, which Jeff Bergman has been voicing as these characters for decades, ever since the 90s. When Mel Blanc died, Jeff Bergman was the one who took over as these iconic characters. And I guess it makes a lot of sense why they have Jeff. It's actually interesting. They have Jeff here, but Eric Bauza is the current Bugs Bunny right now. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe that might be going a different direction with Buzz Bunny maybe in this show I mean it is true they're I mean they're playing Bugs as like the professor not as like the crazy you know maybe he sounds more intellectual probably than the current Buzz Bunny I don't know maybe I don't know uh, and, and he also plays as Sylvester and Foghorn Leghorn okay so Bob Bergen is I por- say uh, you know you, you gotta include me in that, in that, in that, in that university uh, thing. 
<laughs> All right. So let's go over to the next one. So uh, Bob Bergen is Porky. Not too much of a surprise. No. He's been voicing as Porky since the 80s. Um, and then Eric Bauza, instead of uh, he's voicing as Daffy at, and Gossamer of all characters. Daffy makes sense because he is the current voice of Daffy Duck. But he, Gossamer is going to be in there, which is interesting. Yeah, interesting what they do with him. Yeah, and then Candy Milo, as I mentioned before, she was the original voice of Sweetie Bird, and that was actually her first voiceover role, believe it or not. Um, She's voicing as both Granny and Witch Hazel, which makes a lot of sense because she has been voicing them in recent years, ever since June Foray died. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Granny seems to be in every incarnation of, like, you know, these shows uh, recently, like, so, I mean, obviously she brings, like, you know, a sweetness into uh, the, and there's also some zaniness as well, like, when she's alive, when when character, you know, elements allow you know so uh, but uh, I mean uh, you know mind you let me say like you know about Granny like you know she's been like a pretty big character into the Sylvester and Tweezy mysteries I think so if it, I think if it wasn't for the Sylvester and Tweezy mysteries I don't think we'd be hearing too much about Granny I don't think yeah and, and, and you know she was also featured in like the you remember the, like the, the new Looney Tunes show the one that aired on Cartoon Network where they actually had this backstory about Granny as a World War II spy so yeah that actually brought some interest in Granny again how old is Granny like you know the fact that you know she's still I mean you can say that about all the uh, what, uh, Looney Tunes characters, couldn't you? That's uh, so, you know, like, uh, oh well, she was a spy back in World War Two, and like, you know, World War Two was uh, still becoming quite a long time ago now. Like, you know, it's, you're, uh, you're asking the wrong person. Yeah, well, I mean, was she spying like when she was like twelve or something? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, she did look uh, fairly young in that flashback. Well, it is like, Looney Tunes, I guess. You know, yeah, like, they, uh, these characters live forever. It's like that Tiny Tunes episode. Don't be afraid though. Like, you know, somewhere down the line, you know, Granny. You know, like, you know what they did with Grandpa in the Rugrats reboot? Like, and they made him into a hippie because obviously, you know, be, you know that was his. Time, yes, like, you know, I kind of think it's the way down the line. They're gonna that's what they're gonna do with Granny. Like, you know, she's gonna be like, you know, she grew up in the 60s, so that was her thing. Like, you know, free love, things like that. Mm-hmm. She's gonna be like a massive hippie. Like, you know, well, we'll see. Um, and the fact that we're gonna get Witch Hazel again is great because you know, she was only featured a handful of times whenever that you see her in the old Looney Tunes cartoons, whenever she was trying to eat Bugs Bunny or she was trying to use him as, um, as an ingredient for her, for her potions. So, yeah, it'll be nice to see her again and uh, then finally last but not least we have fred tattashore as both taz and yosemite sam which makes a lot of sense because he has played both of them i mean fred tattashore has done a lot of monstrous voices i mean he's even the voice of devil dinosaur Mm-hmm. anyway so let me just read off some more descriptions about this uh, this is coming by the way from the animation world network it says right here the Acme University faculty... Oh, wait, I already read that. Uh, yeah, wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. It says right here that Cree Summer is actually going to be coming back as Elmira. Wait a minute. I thought that she was removed. Uh, well, well, now you know more. Now you know more. I guess so. I guess we're going to see Elmira again, but there's no drawing. She might make a cameo appearance, probably. I think that'll probably be like, her, like you know, unless you know they're going to change it all around and she decides she's going to bring it back. Maybe maybe, maybe fans will be you know, set up and said, no, we want to see Elmira in this incarnation. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I remember... I remember when, you know, my friends, like... Uh, he, he was in mind, like, you know, we're living in a different environment now. Like, you know, it can't just be a fact that, you know, oh, wait, here's this newsletter saying that, you know, this is what's going to be coming up in our new cartoons. You know, back in the day, like, you know, we would have, like, you know, um, you know, there would be, like, you know, the, the industry newsletters and everything like that, like, you would describe, like, you know, what's going to be going on. And then later on, that would come out in, like, you know, Entertainment Weekly and things like that. Like, you know, you would uh, get in, like, all, like, the TV magazines about what's going to happen. Like, you didn't get a say on, like, whether you either liked it or hated it or not. You'd have to wait until the show comes out, and then after that, you, like, email the... You'd, 
you know, like your you know sending letters over to the studio about what you actually liked and what you actually didn't like. Yeah, you I know, guess that, that's that, true. That was back in the time. Then email obviously became a thing, and then obviously you know you know the feedback from the audience then became more instant. I remember Craig Bartlett talking about like in uh, Hey Arnold, like you know he would like get for like all the email and everything about like you know how much they you know they liked the show and what they didn't like about the show. So obviously there was more of a fan interaction at that. Whilst today, like if you make announcements like this on social media, like you're gonna get like about a thousand replies about people how how they feel about you know something. So you can actually yeah, you know you know be able to mediate a bit more about uh, your show and about what you can do and everything like that. So if it's been a case where they said that Elmira's not going to be in the show and, and the fans have said that they want to see Elmira in the show, then obviously they're in a position to change that decision. I guess that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, Emblem Television produces the series in association with Warner Brothers Animation. Steven Spielberg returns as the executive producer with Sam Register, president of Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios and Emblem Television presidents Justin Falvey and Daryl Frank serving as executive producers. Aaron Gibson, who from the Throwing Shade podcast is going to be the showrunner and co-executive producer. And Nate Cash from Adventure Time serves as the co-executive producer. So it's going to be coming out in fall of 2023. All right, so that is it for now. Okay, I mean, so uh, we're going to move on to the next thing now, are we? Yeah, we're going to move on to the next cool, thing. Cool, okay, so round two of the Casting Network Super Showdown villains uh, of yep. this. So uh, I'm interested to see where they're going to go with this, actually, because once we've... I said last week on the, on last week's show that if we're going to have our villain, I think they're going to do this with the superheroes as well and then have, like, an ultimate fight to the... Uh, fight, well, ultimate fight between, like, you know, the hero and the villain and see where they go with it. Yeah, so we already discussed about um, the 16 contenders. So let's go over the top eight. So we're going to go from four different categories, humans, supernatural, sci-fi, demons. Okay, so round one, a fight between Slade from Teen Titans and Father from Codename Kids Next Door, Slade won. I'm not surprised. Like, again, like, I always say that, you know, uh, I know people like, you know, keep coming at me saying, you know, oh, the Kids Next Door villains, I think you, you know, don't give them enough credit. It's like, well, I mean, look what just Slade just did to Father. Like, you know, the, the kids ne- Codename Kids Next Door villain, like, you know, no, no contest. Yeah. All right, next one, we had um, Rob from The Amazing World of Gumball versus The Beast from... Um, uh, yeah, over the over the garden wall, the beast won. Um, yeah, not surprised either. Like you know, the beast is terrifying in over the garden wall. If anybody else has not checked out that show, they should do. Yeah, next one was cats from Curry's the Cowardly Dog versus the creeper from Scooby Doo. Cats won this one. Oh well, uh, I mean, Curry's the Cowardly Dog has its fans, and like you know, it was so one of the surprises that came out of the water cartoon show. Yes. So like you know, and also it had the crossover with uh, Scooby Doo as well. So I mean, like uh, no, I don't think we should be surprised. I think that's the closest out of thing out of the two of them. I think. I agree. All right. And uh, next one was uh, White Diamond from Steven Universe versus Vilgax from Ben 10. White Diamond won this one. Uh, not surprised either. And uh, she got off uh, pretty lightly for the fact that she basically spends, you know, thousands of years causing a genocide. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one was the steward from Infinity Train versus Anti-Pops from Regular Show. Anti-Pops won this one. Oh, that's a surprise, really, I yeah. guess. I mean, uh, I mean, shame for Infinity Train as well. Like, you know, it would have been interesting to see them go on forward and, like, you know, make, uh, you know, Warner Brothers regret ever, like, you know, cut- cutting the show. But uh, I guess we're not going to get that redemption, unfortunately. And finally, last but not least, we have him from the Powerpuff Girls versus the Red Guy from Cow and Chicken. Him won this one. I mean, we did the Red Guy stand any chance in this? Not a, cl- I mean, not we, a chance The fact that we've had so many renditions of him, the fact that he has so many, has so many hands and everything like that, the fact that, you know, he's probably being described as a trans icon at the moment, you know, during pride month i mean seriously i think uh, we we all knew who the winner was going to be in that yeah and finally last but not least we had the lich from adventure time versus nurgle from the grim adventures of billy and mandy uh 
the Lich one. Uh, that doesn't surprise me either. So, yeah, there we go. All right. So that is it for our uh, top eight winners. Tune in next time as we're going to be finding out who so, the... So, just remind everybody of the uh, current brackets. Okay. The current brackets we have is... Um, uh, oh, wait. I forgot to mention one more. Uh, Mandark vers- uh, from Dexter's Lab versus Heather from Total Drama Island. Uh, Heather won. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that, surprised, that saddens me, really, because I think Mandark is a very complex villain, in my opinion. I think he should be more discovered. Unfortunately, you know, the later episodes of uh, Dexter's Laboratory were not up to par like the original series. And uh, to be honest with you, I think if they ever did Dexter's Laboratory again, and I highly doubt they ever will do, but uh, I mean, if they do it again, I would like to see Mandark be rewritten as like you know, a more complex character. I think, you know, I think he deserves it, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. So here is what's going to happen for round three. So we have Slade versus Heather. We have. I put Slade over Heather. I agree. We have the Beast versus the Creeper. Um, I put. Mm, that's interesting, actually. Now that we've had that, I mean, dare I say, maybe the Creeper could probably go over the Beast on this. I'm going to vote for the Beast on this. Um. Well, I would say hopefully. Um. Well, I'll, I'll see, but you know, um, I don't know. I've got an interesting thing about the Creeper now. Now that he's made his way forward. Hmm. Okay. We have White Diamond versus Anti Pops. Um. I can imagine White Diamond will probably win I on that one. I agree with this one. And we have him versus the Lich. That is the closest one. I think him will skim it, I think. I think that the Lich will win this one. Uh, Well, we'll see. Yep, we will see next week. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. We're switching over from Cartoon Network to Nickelodeon. So we've had a lot of international channels from Ukraine, Australia, and New Zealand, which were like independent channels. They were like showing off various kids' shows. And now they are rebranding it to Cartoon Network, which I thought was, you know... Nickelodeon, though, you mean? I mean, well, Nickelodeon, that's what I meant to say, not Cartoon <laughs> Okay, so let me just read off the Ukraine news. This is from Broadband TV. Uh, one Plus One Media and Paramount Global have launched a localized version of Nickelodeon in the Ukraine. According to OnePlus One Media, the channel is now available on many platforms, including OTT, the Viaset DTH service, and cable networks with the Ukrainian soundtrack. Furthermore, by the end of the year, viewers will be offered over 200 premiere episodes of the new series of the channel. In a statement on the launch, Paramount Global said the launch of Nickelodeon with Ukrainian language content is a significant event in the history of Nickelodeon in the Ukraine, which brings children's favorites characters closer to Ukrainian-speaking audiences. Thanks to our production cooperation with OnePlus One Media, we're prepared with more than 500 hours of outstanding shows in the Ukrainian language, and the library of localized content will be replenished every day. We're excited to communicate with our viewers in this native language. Uh, you know what? I actually think this is a... I'm really glad actually you and I were actually looking for news to talk about this, and actually, in a way, I'm actually really glad that we actually are talking about this, because we all know what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, and we know that you know this terrible war is currently going on at the moment, and you know the aggression that's being shown by Russia. And by the way, we don't really get a chance to really talk about kind of like this stuff at the moment. And uh, I think stuff like this is really important because, you know, there's a lot of kids right now in, in, in Ukraine right now who are really terrified about like the future and everything like that. And like, you know, what all the horrible things that are currently going on right now. And I think, you know, the fact that, uh, that you know, there is going to be a Nickelodeon channel, like uh, there's going to be like 200 shows that are going to be in the Ukrainian language. That's, you know, a lot of entertainment. Let me say, so you and I have uh, had a lot of like entertainment for like you know, some of the bad times that we had all this. Hey Arnold has like been one of the bre- 
I really hope Hey Arnold's going to be one of those shows that's going to be, you know, um, transferred over to Ukrainian because if it is, you know, I think a lot of people are going to love that show and I think, well, th- things might be looking really down and really bleak in some of these areas in that country. I guarantee you, at least the kids will be able to look at, you know, um, Hey Arnold and say, you know, like get really enjoyment and just get like a break and like, you know, just have like a, you know, just maybe like 22 minutes of like thinking like, oh, hey, I can just sit down and enjoy this show and uh, be able to like, you know, well, you know, really dark things are currently going on at the moment. So I think, you know, stuff like this is going to be so important for like, you know, the, the youth in, uh, in in that country, I think. And uh, so I actually am really happy that, you know, things like that are going to be going on. I agree. And especially since entertainment has always been there for people in their darkest times. Like, like we just mentioned before, during the Great Depression, when, you know, people were like really poor and out of work, they would go over to theaters and they would be watching cartoons like Warner Brothers cartoons or Disney cartoons. And, you know, even the same thing with like uh, the pandemic. I mean, we were just, you know, at home. We couldn't go outside because we didn't want to risk getting ourselves sick. And we would be watching various entertainment. That's how Avatar The Last Airbender became more popular again because it was out on Netflix and a new generation was able to discover it. Do you remember when 9-11 happened? And, uh, you know, like, uh, what? who's the one, uh, you know, uh, children's uh, entertainer that came up to turn, like, you know, uh, uh, ease the concerns of people? Who, do you remember who that person was? Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. And, you know, that's the power that they have in regards to all this. Or in fact, you know, remember Mr. Hooper passed away. And, oh, like, you know, they had, yes. they, like, you know, uh, they had Sesame Street actually explain to uh, people about that. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, these Nickelodeon characters are going to be coming up into Ukraine and explaining about like, what's going on in the war and stuff like that. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, hopefully that uh, there's going to be something there that will basically say, look, things are going to be okay. Things are going to be all right. You know, here is Nickelodeon. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, dark ti- you know, dark times are here now, but hopefully lighter times are ahead. I'm sure that there's probably a Nick News segment that they had that maybe with, like, you know, kids in the Ukraine who are going through a lot of this um, turmoil with Russia. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually had a news segment like this where it was able to show that, hey, you know, these kids are frightened and they don't know what is going to happen. The one thing I'm going to be kind of like, you know, we're kind of like, do you remember like during the pandemic and Peppa Pig was, you know, we're demonstrating to kids about to wash their hands and stuff yes. like that. And, you know, so knowing that, you know, uh, they had to do that in order to like, you know, remind you, you know, you had like, you know, Disney characters at one point, like, you know, showing people like, you know, what do you do during an invasion and stuff like that. So like, you know, they're that. Yeah. They're, they're, they have been like, you know, you know, obviously cartoon characters have like, you know, shown how to like, you know, survive a deadly plague or a deadly war or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we've, had, so, we've had like, you know, um, you know, donate uh, war bonds and, you know, be wary of like uh, all the mosquitoes that might be carrying malaria and, you know, uh, you know, be patriotic for America and stuff like that. So yeah, that, those were like all the Disney shorts from the 40s in which they would show the case. Yeah, they would do stuff. that. I mean, like, it means you see what like the, this version of Nickelodeon that's going to be coming into the Ukraine. I mean, like, uh, is it going to address like, you know, what is going to happen over there in the country at the minute? And like, if they do, how would they go about it? I mean, they're going to, are they going to do the Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, uh, angle of like, you know, doing this? Or are they going to do like, you know, the, uh, you know, the Sesame Street you know idea of like, you know, addressing this with young kids? Or are they going to like, uh, or are they just going to like, you know, Nickelodeon just completely ignore the war entirely and just say, look, we're just going to give you like, here's the entertainment that you want to distract yourself from like what's going on at the moment. That's probably what they'll do. Yeah. I'm interested to see how they're going to go about it. All right. So moving on, the other country that is going to be getting uh, Nickelodeon from a rebranded channel. So according to this article from Kids Scream, uh, Paramount is giving its free-to-air kids channel 10 Shake a Nickelodeon makeover in Australia and New Zealand, in addition to a name change and rebrand that are due to roll out on August 1st. The channel is expanding its programming lineup to feature more Nickelodeon shows, which will also be available on the Paramount Plus VOD service and 10 Play app. Including on the lineup would be Blue's Clues and You, Baby Shark's Big Show, Blaze and the Monster Machines, 
The Loud House, The Thundermans, The Casa Grandes, and also Nick at Night will be featuring in there, such as The Graham Norton Show, Gogglebox, and The Middle, plus Star Trek, Sherlock Holmes, and Transformers. That's interesting. They cancelled The Casa Grandes, and yet they're still going to be re-releasing it, like, you know, for international distribution. That's yes. A, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah, like, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe uh, Les Casa Grandes might get a new lease of life. You know, like Possibly. It. I mean, it has happened before. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I think one of the interesting things they could do is that they could, like, you know, they're having all these international makeovers of all these channels and, like, rebranding them to Nickelodeon. Interesting to see, like, you know, all of a sudden everyone's talking about the Casa Grandes again and, like, you know, Nickelodeon turn around and say, huh, you know, like, you know, uh, people really like that show. Maybe we probably should look back at it again, hmm. you know? Possibly. I mean, that's what they did with the Fairly Odd Parents, in which, like, that show has been cancelled four or five times with a definitive ending. And then they brought it back, and, you know, unfortunately, it did get worse and worse, but at least they brought it back. Well, yeah, like, uh, again, it got worse and worse. That was the problem, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, but yeah. still. Eh. Anyway, but yeah, that's what's going to be happening for both uh, Australia slash New Zealand and the Ukraine, that they'll be getting Nickelodeon into their lineup. Yeah, and uh, interesting to see if anyone else, like, you know, decides to pick this up. By the way, it kind of reminds me of, like, uh, you know, uh, the dying days of the children. I don't know, like, you know, I always have, like, an appreciation for, you know, the international, the, you know, international, the, the independent, you know, uh, children's network. You know, like, we have the children's channel, and, uh, you know, where, it, like, it would display, like, not cartoons that like were made by like you know the major like you know uh, not the Cartoon Network not the Nickelodeon's not the Disney's but you know, like, you know those like you know other like you know say for like you know where was it Nevada I think it was N- Nevada yeah Nevada yeah and like you know stuff like you see now on Cookie Jar and things like that like you know some like the independent produ- productions that were going on at the time I feel like you know uh, I do kind of miss those types of studios and uh, don't get me wrong they do exist out there but probably not as prevalent as they are now right and uh, like you know they're not got like, major you know uh, they, you know I think they uh, really did add like a bit of a charm. I think to uh, to children's programming, and uh, you know, I really wish that we still had stuff like that still going on. But unfortunately, now you either have to get it from the BBC, you have to get it from Cartoon Network, you have to get it from Nickelodeon, you have to get it from Disney, or you have to get it from somebody else. Right. Yeah. So I'm really happy that Ukraine, Russia, uh, Australia, and um, New Zealand are able to get Nickelodeon, and I'm sure that all the programs that would be airing there, I'm sure that would you, know, be- you nearly mentioned Russia, and like I believe they're losing something like that. They right? they yeah. are. Yeah. So I think the Nintendo store's not opening up anymore there in Russia, and uh, I believe uh, Disney Plus doesn't think is uh, working there either nope. either anymore. So not I think you know they've uh, yeah. So like you know you are really screwed if you're going to look for like, Western animation in Russia right now because you're not getting it. Absolutely not. All right, so we talked last month that GQ did a list of the top 100 video games of all time. And they had this massive claim that it was a combination between like video game journalists and video game developers and fans and all that stuff who were coming together and making this massive list. And we were just like laughing because the descriptions were short and terrible. And some of the choices that they made was just very questionable. It's so, uh, it's so, you know, out of my mind right now. I can't even remember most of them. I remember Half-Life being one of them. Yeah, like I, I actually have the original list. I'm just going to pull out what GQ's original list is. Go for it. And then we'll compare it to Empires. So number 10... Okay, this is GQ, by the way. Okay, number 10 was Half-Life 2. Number 9 was Dark Souls. 
Number eight was Portal 2. Number seven was Metal Gear Solid. Number six was Mass Effect 2. Number five was The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Number four was Bloodborne. Number three was Tetris. Number two was The Last of Us. And number one was The Legend of Zelda The Breath of the Wild. Yeah, which, you know, like, uh, there's some uh, games I will accept on that list, but then there's other ones. It's like, really? It's like, you know, I wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't even be top 50, let alone top 20, let alone top 10. Another thing that we were complaining about GQ was that a lot of their games, only like maybe five of them were from the 90s and maybe like one or two were from the 80s. Exactly. Okay. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Empire have to say about this. All right. Like, what's their top 100 games? Well, we're not going to go through like the whole 100. If you no, want to go through the whole 100, you know, obviously we'll leave the link. But I mean, let's go through their top 10 and let's see what they have to say. Yeah. And by the way, um, while as um, GQ only described the games in like maybe like four two or three sentences. They actually have an entire paragraph on why they made their decision. Well, a whole paragraph. We're living in the life of luxury, aren't we, Patricia? <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Number 10 on the list is Minecraft. Um, that I'll accept. You know, Minecraft has been a phenomenon. You know, like, it started off as a small independent game, then it was brought off by Microsoft, and they've just turned it into, like, a whole massive franchise. So, like, you know, uh, and also, the, the whole thing of it is pretty sim- simple as well. It's very creative. Like, you know, it's not graphically intensive, and it doesn't need to be. You know, the whole thing is in the gameplay, and the whole thing is in the structure, and the whole thing is in, like, in the style uh, that, uh, you know, the game brings to, uh, you know, to that. So, you know, the, that, and also the fact that it just becomes very addictive as well. Like, you know, that's where Minecraft's, you know, strengths are in all of this and so um, I don't surprise that you know the guy who created it is actually you know, rolling in money right now because it's such a great it's such a great game and, and uh, frankly yeah I would agree it definitely it definitely not top 10 definitely top 25 at least yeah uh, and by the way uh, GQ also listed it but they listed it as number 24 so, so yeah just about top 25 it nearly fell out of that list okay so well. you, yeah so let's just uh, see what the next one is number it. 9 is Pokemon Red Blue Yellow I agree with that too those games were iconic back yes. at the time. Like, you know, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yellow, I'm not too sure. Red and blue, definitely. Yellow is where you get to have a Pikachu alongside with you. Oh, okay. Then, well, um, yeah, I, I, again, like, you know, after Red and Blue, I didn't really kind of pay pay too much attention to uh, Pokemon at that time. I think I only came across them after the Smash Brothers games, really, and uh, obviously Detective Pikachu and, like, you know, Pokemon Go and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I would agree. Like, you know, uh, definitely Red and Blue, because I've uh, seen them and uh, seen how popular they were and stuff like that. Also, there was, like, the whole Link Cable thing as well, where people were battling each other stuff as well that was cool you know back in the time it was one of one of the very few times where actually oh hey this link cable has a use (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean there was supposed to i mean it wasn't just like oh we're gonna use it just to play tetris or something like that no you can actually trade with your favorite pokemon exactly yeah that was a big thing back then it was a major thing back then and the fact that um you know pokemon is still popular to this very day you know just goes to show you about you know the legacy that it has where it was able to you know have the influence of like other RPGs. I mean, you have to remember that when Pokemon came out, the Game Boy was pretty much dead, mm-hmm. but it gave it new life again and people started like gravitating towards it. And that just goes to show you the power of what um, Pokemon can be able to do. Now, Pokemon is in on the GQ list, but it's Pokemon Gold and Silver was the one that was mentioned and it was like all the way in like in the top 80s. Oh, oh, no Pokemon Red and Blue. In that whole list. Is that, yeah, no. All right. Going over to number eight. Number eight on the list is Grand Theft Auto V. Um, that, I, even though I never played five, I mean, I will agree with, like, you know, the cultural aspects of why, how, why it's uh, in the 
the top ten. Like, let's be honest, like, you know, there was that. There was also spin-offs of that game as well. And, uh, you know, everybody was raving about that game. And people love the soundtrack to that game too. Yes. Like, even I've got it, like, uh, I had it on MP3 at one point when I downloaded the albums. So, like, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I think GTA V has its place. I mean, it's a really fun game. It has some really fun characters. And, you know, all the cars you can go around, like, all the missions are also a really fun to play as well. Like, you know, it's, just, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, great. GTA V is always a delight when you pick it up. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I think that GTA V, I mean, at the time, it broke so many records. It was the most expensive game. It made the most amount of money within, like, the first three days of its release. And it was the one that gotten, like, the most critically acclaimed. It broke off so many records in less than a week. And it had a really interesting story. You had like you get to play as three different characters. Uh, you get to explore like different parts of you know Los Santos, and it has this really interesting way of like customization that you were never able to get otherwise. And you were able to just like have the opportunity to just explore this massive world you can never do. And excuse me. By the way, we apologize, everybody. The hay fever is really bad here in the in the UK. So, like, we've been sneezing all week. Yes, so. yeah, it's it's been pretty bad. But anyway, um, yeah, GQ listed off Grand Theft Autos three and four. I don't think they had five on their list, and if they did, I probably haven't found it yet. Yeah, I mean, like a GTA three, I would I would accept in that list. Yeah, but I would I would know. accept three as well because that was the one that had the gameplay that we would know of today. Exactly, the three D open world game where you get to explore and you get to like steal cars and you get to talk to people and go on various missions so i can understand three four i can understand as well because it was able to explore the story and the characters and you were Yellow able to car Yellow car you were able to explore and you were able to just do a whole bunch of like really great missions so yeah i think that um oh and by the way i was wrong uh it turned out that pokemon red and blue is on gq but it was listed as number 25 yeah, that's, that's a crime in itself I mean, I guess the reason why they listed it as that is because, you know, like I said before, all the other games that were like in the 90s are like there were only five of them. And the, the, they seem to appraise the more recent games that came out over the past few years. But anyway, let me just um, move on to the next list. Uh, so at number eight, we have uh, what well, that was Grand Theft Auto. V. Number seven, we have Bioshock. Um, Bioshock, yeah, that was a great game back in the time. I mean, like uh, uh, Bioshock Two, I think is the game that everyone seems to ra- seems to rave about because obviously it's you know it had more characters in it and uh, had more possibilities in it. But you know the original Bioshock, I mean, I remember playing the demo and you know I was so immersed in this whole world, like it just looked amazing. Yeah, it focuses on this regular guy named Jack and who went he wanders around in the world of Rapture, where it's this underground utopia that has since fallen apart, and you get to look around Rapture and you realize that this perfect world under you know under those sea may not be as perfect as it's depicted because you have basically recordings of like people who lived in rapture where they were like going through all of these different ideologies and the place is abandoned you know have these big daddies with like giant drill hands who are just going by and just cutting people up and then you find five little sisters who are attached to the big daddies and you get to make a decision whether you want to kill them so that you can be able to get the atom from their systems which is basically how you get more health and how you get more uh, abilities to like um, protect yourself
health or you get to save them, which means that you'll get less health and less abilities so you can be able to shoot or, you know, power up your, your energy. And it also has multiple endings depending on how many little sisters that you save. If you get the good ending, you, you know, obviously get the good ending, but if you get the bad ending, then you get the bad ending. But yeah, I'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't played the game, even though that the game is about 15 years old, but I digress. Anyway, so yeah, Bioshock is a fantastic game, really interesting, has this really open story, and the gameplay is really, really good, and yeah, I really did enjoy the game as well. Uh, I don't think that, um, I don't think the game is on GQ's Top 100, I don't believe. What does that tell you about the GQ's Top 100, then? Anyway, let's move on. At number six, we have Final Fantasy VI. I mean, um, no, 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 Final Fantasy VII. Final I'm sorry. Fantasy VII. Um, yeah, again, I would agree with that. I mean, Final Fantasy VII, I think, is one of the games that uh, you know Final Fantasy fans really love and rant and rave about. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. And also, I think, uh, was that the time when the movie came out? I can't remember who it was. No, that was not. years later. That was years later. Okay, then, well, yeah. Well, uh, again, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that the reason why Final Fantasy VII was such a major hit was because um, I'm sure that a lot of people who grew up with RPGs probably know this, but RPGs in America were not as huge compared to Japan, whereas, you know, we were just kind of like getting into it, but very slowly. I mean, it was like until maybe along the lines of like the late 90s when we had like Super Mario RPG and Chrono Trigger was when people like really started to fall in love with RPGs. And then when Final Fantasy VII hit the market, it became a mainstream success where it was able to have a gripping story with amazing characters and an open world you can explore and you know for a lot of people this was their first Final Fantasy game and th that's why they hold it so dear to their heart and then when Final Fantasy 7 Remake came out it became a massive hit and now we're going to get Rebirth soon and that's just going to you know emphasize on the importance of Final Fantasy 7. Yeah, so um, I think that it might have been on GQ's list but I think it was a little bit like you know, high lower on the list. But anyway, let's move on. At number five, we have Super Mario 64. Um, yeah, again, I agree. Super Mario 64, I think, uh, you know, changed the way that we thought of, sort of Mario games. Like, you know, at the, the time, you know, Mario games were, like, all, like, you know, 2D, and, like, you know, we saw them from the side, and we never really had, like, that 3D exploring Mario game. And then finally, we, here we, in Mario, Mario Super Mario 64, we got it. But it's not just about that. It's about, like, you know, the fact you're exploring, like, uh, you know, Princess's, Princess Peach's house. By the way, she gets known Peach in this uh, in, in this yes. episode. And uh, so um, you're going around, like, all these worlds, and, uh, you know, you've got all these enemies to fight, and, uh, you know, it's like all this mystery as well, like, you know, what's going on, like, in, in the story. And then you get to fight Bowser multiple times, and, uh, you know, well, obviously you get the iconic, you know, spinning him around by his tail and then throwing him off the level and everything like that. So I think, you know, it's uh, there's uh, some great stuff in uh, in Super Mario, Super Mario 64, and uh, anyone who's not a chance to play the game, I would urge you to play it. Yeah, and even though that I am not a massive fan of the game itself, I personally think that I understand the cultural significance of what it was able to bring. Like, for example, it was able to showcase that 3D platformers could be possible and that it can be able to um, expand the world of, you know, more than just like on your, like, 2D. You can explore 3D. You can have different worlds. You can have all of the opportunities to, you know, fight off enemies that you weren't able to fight otherwise. And also, it was able to be incredible revolutionary for the controls in which you could be able to control 360 as opposed to like up, down, left, right. So it was a massive influence for that. And because of that, we were able to get things such as like, um, you know, Banjo-Kazooie and Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter, Ratchet and Clank. I mean, this game was the one that kind of like kickstarted all of that. And without it, I mean, gaming would be completely different than we would know of it today. 
And I believe that Super Mario 64 is on the GQ list. But again, I think that they rated it a little bit lower because, um, you know, not too surprising. I mean, they they did list it off games like uh, Super Mario World and Super Mario Brothers 3, I think a little bit higher. Anyway, at number four, we have Tetris. Um, well, there was a whole docu docudrama done for it. So, like, uh, that's how iconic and how impressive Tetris was. Uh, at that time, and uh, you know, just uh, you know, anytime uh, I've told you the story about Tetris, like you know how how you know amazing of a game it is, and the fact that uh, you know at one point before I was playing you know Unreal tournament games, like you know there'd be like a, a mod that you could get to actually play Tetris while you're waiting for like you know the games to start. So like uh, you know uh, it was a game you could even play in between games effectively. So like it was so versatile in its it's in its deployment. And uh, so I originally played Tetris on the first on the NES, and then after that I played it like on the PC and. And, uh, you know, uh, every, it seems to be every time I get, seems to get a device, there's always an ability to play Tetris on it. If I always get a chance to play Tetris, I'll play Tetris. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and GQ also had it on their list. They had it at number three. This is at number four. But yeah, I mean, something as simple as Tetris, where it's just a bunch of blocks, and you put it together so that you can make the blocks disappear, was actually really revolutionary. It was a puzzle game that you were able to just not have any like major instructions. It didn't feature like characters that spoke a specific language. It was just blocks. You put it in. And you get a high score. And it's still played to this day. Like we said before, there's even a movie about it on Apple TV that you can watch. And yes, I mean, the, the whole history of Tetris, of how it came into America, is fascinating. So You know, if Tetris was done by, like, you know, a modern gaming company, it would have to, like, you know, have, like, you know, like a thousand, like, you know, uh, titles at the very beginning. And it would need to, like, you know, uh, you can't move to, like, this block to this particular thing until you can play to this storyline or you even lock this DLC or something like that. You know, like, it's just, it's, I could see, like, you know, <laughs> A modern, you know, gaming studio do something really stupid with Tetris, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I do agree. Anyway, so let me just move on to what is number three on this list. At number three, we have Elden Ring. Um, Elden Ring. I mean, I've not played the game yet, so I'm not entirely sure. So. Yeah, this is again a game that came out last year. It was done by the same people who did things like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. So yeah, it's basically that, but with a fantasy element in which you have this massive world that you get to explore, going exploring caves, fighting off monsters, and having a vague story that you yourself have to put together. It came out last year. It was Game of the Year for multiple websites. It is beloved by a lot of people, and even GQ listed it as number 20 on the list but um yeah even so like even like less than a year later elden ring is considered to be like one of the greatest video games of all time according to some critics mm-hmm. all right at number two on the list we have the legend of zelda breath of the wild um yeah i mean like i certainly agree with that too like uh, breath of the wild i think was a revolutionary zelda game it was an open world game with your you know one of your favorite characters it had all the elements from like all of the zelda games also in it as well like all of kind of references not only do you have to, you could do the main quest and like not do anything else and go off to beat ganon if you wanted to, or you can go straight off to beat ganon if you wanted to like there was no uh restriction on what you could do but you know i fell so much in love with zelda breath of the wild after i was done with like you know the mechanical beasts and uh, you know done with like the main question that you go on to the point where it's like destroy gun and it was kind of like it's kind of like the episode like a tea titan is like yeah i kind of want to do that but you're still, i'm sure there's more cows to save you know like <laughs> so i would do like all the side i did like literally like nearly most of all the side quests and then after that when i finally came up to ganon like i was fully armed and ready to just kind of destroy him in one setting 
Yeah. You know, like it was just, it was crazy. Yeah. Know? And in GQ, they listed it as their favorite game of all time. No, no doubt about it. It was my favorite game of all time, too, until Tears of the Kingdom turned up. <laughs> and finally, at number one, we have The Last of Us. Um, I've I've heard some really great things about The Last of Us. I've not played it personally. I no. have. And what would you say? Oh, well, I, I would say that the storyline is very fascinating. Like, it was able to take a zombie concept, but do something completely different with it. Where you get to follow a protagonist that is on the brink of kind of being an unlikable jerk, like all the other people who have become unlikable jerks. But then again, it is a post-apocalyptic time in which, like, you have this virus known as the cordyceps that is able to attack your brain and make you into, like, a mushroom-like creature. And, and also the fact that he was able to lose a lot of things. He lost his his daughter he lost his way of life he has to basically struggle to survive and you know his mission is to protect a young girl named ellie who was bitten by one of the cordyceps and she might be the cure to stopping this whole thing once and for all so they have this long journey so that they can maybe get over to seattle to see if maybe this organization known as the fireflies can be able to stop the disease once and for all and you have this really interesting journey into like these two people who are struggling for survival it is dark it is very very depressing and it has a lot of morals that you kind of look into and you it kind of like questions a lot of things i remember when um the, the you know the game was in production and it, i remember when uh, neil Druckmann was talking about like you know video game stories have become really lazy let's just shake it up a little bit and it's because of that that games wanted to be like the last of us hbo did a series on the last of us and it's claimed as a masterpiece just like the tv uh, just like the video game was and you know then last of us 2 kind of like you know shit the bed but i just i digress anyway <laughs> anyway but th- that's not the point the point is is that uh, the original last of us i, I mean gameplay wise you know it's fine you know you have it's kind of like uncharted in which you like you shoot and but the thing is is that you have limited ammo because you know it's a post-apocalyptic world you're not going to just find a whole bunch of ammo that's been scattered around by soldiers like you would in the uncharted series or you're not going to find like um you know boxes of things that you can be able to collect you have to actually look in other people's houses that have been long abandoned and you have to like collect whatever that you can find and use it smartly and that's really interesting because you know it it makes you play into the strategy of that Um, as for like greatest game of all time that's really hard to say because you know I might have a different opinion of what I consider to be the greatest game of all time Aaron might have a different opinion I would say that you know gameplay wise it's fine story wise it's really really fascinating but I wouldn't say it's like I mean, I would say maybe like... I wouldn't say it's the number one game, Yeah, though. I wouldn't say it's the number one. I mean, uh, GQ listed it as number two, though. So, yeah, even like after 10 years since the game has been out, it has been like phenomenally praised for, you know, all the right reasons, of course. But, yeah, I would say that in for other things, like uh, of what I was able I'm to... I'm just do- curious, like, you know, where's Doom in this list? Okay, so I'm going over the Empire list. I'm just going to look at where Doom is. They have other games. They have um, even games that weren't even featured on GQ, which is really interesting. So I'm just going to, like, look through... They even have more 80s and 90s games uh, compared to what GQ was able to showcase, which is actually pretty interesting uh so i'm just gonna look through it really quickly um okay let's see what we got tales of arise monkey island 2 phoenix right so where's monkey island 2 in all this actually just out of interest oh uh monkey island 2 is uh number 80 
By the way, for those interested, like Splatoon is 98 in this list. Yeah, Splatoon is number 98 on the list. Yeah, Soul Calibur is um, for PS4, Xbox One, and CC. That's 97 in the list. Uh, Halo Reach is number 75. Oh, that's interesting. Halo Reach is in this list? Yes, it is. That's interesting. Yeah, ge- the original Gears of War is number 72. Fire Emblem is in this list. Uh, Metroid Prime is number 85, which uh, compared to like Metroid Prime being number 75 on GQ. Uh, Dragon Quest Eight is on this list, which was not in the original uh, GQ list. Pac-Man's 91 in this list. Super Mario Brothers is number 67. Uh, Metal Mortal Gear- Kombat 2 is 90 in this list. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater is on number 65. Okay. Uh, oh, here's Doom, number 63. Doom is 63? Yes. I would, you know, uh, no, I would say top 50 at least. Okay. I would say, yeah, Doom was, a, Doom was an incredible game. Yeah. Uh, oh, how is Half Life Alex in this list? Um, Half Life Alex is on this list. It's eighty six. It is eighty six. Yes. Why? I mean, like, it's just like it's not like. I mean, I get it's VR, but like, you know, it's not the only VR game. Like, you know, it's. Um, I mean, I've yet to play it. I can't really justify like you know. I you know. By the way, Chrono Trigger is actually number eighty four in this list. I agree with that actually. Okay. Anyway, Dead Space is in this list. I agree with that. Resident uh, Evil Two is on this list. I agree with that. Well, the not the original, the remake. Phoenix Wright is in this list. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I also see Assassin's Creed <laughs> Fortnite 78. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to see okay, Alex says it's in the list, but I'm happy to see it at 77. StarCraft funny StarCraft 2 is 77. That's been a professional gaming league game. Yep. The fact that it's 77 in the list. Like, yeah. Grief. Uh Assassin's Creed 2 is on this list, which I completely agree because I think that's the best in the series. Yeah, I see here the reach now. Yeah, that's a 75. I, I, I'll accept that. Okay. Uh, Civilization 4 is on this list. Gears of War 72. I'll accept that, actually. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is number 51. Uh, Gran Turismo is also in this list. I'll accept that. Animal Crossing New Horizon is on this list. Uh, Okay, then. Tekken 3 is on this list. Oh, no. Super Mario Bros. is 67 in this list. I mean, to be fair, let's be honest. We knew that a lot of these websites... But it was was the game that started off the Mario franchise. I know it is, but here's the thing. I know a lot of these gaming websites are going to put more modern games instead of classic games on the list. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's just... uh, I think this is a generational thing, I think. I I agree. Elite from 1980. Oh, Super Mario Kart's in this list. 62. Wow. Like, I mean, I was, yeah, I don't know, like, it's just like, and, and Mario Kart obviously started off a lot of things, but, you know, if we're going to say, you know, compared to what, are there any other Mario Karts in this in this list? Oh, Mario Kart 8 was on this list. Oh, uh, was it? Uh, what time, what, what place was that? I remember? think it was a little bit, um, let me see if I can pull it back up. Uh, 51. 51, and uh, yeah, I see, I see Resident Evil 4, sorry, Resident Evil 2 now, so that's, uh, that's Okay, uh, let's see what else we got. System Shock 2, which is important because that's essentially like the spiritual success, uh, Bioshock was a spiritual success. Sid 5's in this list, I accept that. Yeah, there you go. Fallout 3. Oh, there's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Fallout 3, you say, was in Fallout the list? Fallout 3 is on this list. I Fallout 4 probably be in there No, somewhere. it's not. It's Fallout 3 that's on this wow, list. Wow, Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos. I, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I prefer Warcraft 2, but Warcraft 3, I will accept, is like one of the, and by, by the way, I'm I'm really glad we're saying that, not World of Warcraft. I'm yeah. not sure if I saw that in the list recently. Uh, Half-Life 2 is on this list. Uh, that I agree with. Uh, Tekken 3 is in this list. I agree, because it was one that actually brought in the mechanics that we would see in modern Tekken games. Mm, okay. Um, Link to the Past is on this list. I agree with that. Super Mario World is on this list. I agree with that. Shenmue is on this list. Um, if Not for, well, not the voice acting, but definitely the no, 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 not for the No, not for the voice <laughs> acting. For the fact that it was able to have like this open world, and you get to explore at real time 
which was where the Yakuza games had their inspiration for the gameplay. Yeah, uh, Persona 5 is in this list, by the way. Uh, yep, uh, we have KOTOR, a.k.a. Star Wars, the Rise yeah, of the Old Republic. Republic. I, I agree with this. God of War's in this list, by the way. And, and by I the way, we're not talking about the original God of War. We're talking about the revamped God, God of, of War. God of War, yeah. Boy! <laughs> anyway, Silent Hill 2 is on this list, which uh, that's we, 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 um. I mean, I've not really played Silent Hill all that much, so I can't. Re- I don't. I don't really know how to feel about that. But uh, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate's in this list. I mean, uh, comp- I don't know, like. Uh, Compared to Melee and Brawl, I mean, like... Uh, I, I, I mean, it's... I guess maybe because... Oh, wait, Ultimate. Sorry, what am I talking about? Yeah, Ultimate, I accept. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ultimate, yes. I would say that that's definitely... I mean, conceptually, it is the best Smash Brothers we've ever gotten. Half-Life's the 34. Okay, I'll, I'll it, accept Yeah, that. they actually put Half-Life above Half-Life 2. Yeah, and Sonic Hedgehog is in this list. The 33, uh, I, really? Like, you know, the, I mean, yeah, he has such a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, back but, in the but I would say that the sequels were better. Okay. Uh, Dark Souls, not too surprising. Modern Warfare, not too surprising. Oh, cool. Yeah, Modern Warfare, I accept. Uh, uh, Red, Red Dead, Dead Redemption, Redemption 2. 2. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Uncharted 2, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Deus Ex, I definitely agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Bloodborne, uh, yeah, I, I guess I accept it was, that. It's, basi- it's basically like, you know, take the concept of Dark Souls, but make it more medieval and goth. Arkham City is a great game. Yeah. Resident Evil 4 is a fantastic oh, game. Oh, Resident Evil 4 at 25, yeah, definitely I'll accept that. That game was creepy as all hell. Yeah, Skyrim. Skyrim, yeah, definitely. My brother loved that game, by the way. Portal 2, yeah, oh. it was it was actually a really great game. Oh, uh, yeah, but, you know, it definitely, definitely top 20. 25, 23, it's definitely top 30 or 40, but definitely not in top 10. Definitely uh, it's, not. it's top 20. Yeah, well, that'd be in GQ, is in top 10. Oh, yeah, that's right. It wasn't remember, the, yeah. yeah, I remember it wasn't the top uh, 10. Metal Gear Solid at 22. I mean, uh, I mean, again, it's full of cutscenes, but at the same time, like, it has some really solid gameplay in it. I would GoldenEye agree. is on this list. I don't know. Compared to other first person shooters we've had, we've had, like, you know, since GoldenEye, I mean, I'm not too sure if it'll be higher than Gears of War and happy, higher than Half Life 2. Yeah, and Half Life and Half Life 2. Yeah, they have it higher than that. That's a, well, they, yeah. they have it higher than. Halo, they have it higher than Call of Duty. I, I will accept it as being in the top 100 games, but definitely not higher than those games. Surely not. Um, yeah. Spider-Man Miles Morales is at number 20. Yeah. Wasn't it in GQ, wasn't it in like the top 10, wasn't it? Or, uh, no, no, no. It, no, it was not. Uh, it was not. I don't think it was... Uh, was it, it in the list at all? I don't or? think it was. Okay. Okay, Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, that was in the list as well. Final Fantasy's in there. I'll yeah, that's that. Final Fantasy 9, though. Yeah. Oh, Last of Us Part 2, that's at 17. Oh, wow, really? Considering of all the controversy that Last of Us 2 had. Yeah, uh, World of Warcraft is in this list, and uh, mind you, I would not... I, I never really got into World of Warcraft, to be quite honest with everybody. I prefer the original Warcraft games. Uh, Ocarina of Time at number 15. Um, I'll accept that. Yeah. yeah, You remember when Ocarina of Time was like the untouchable number one? Yeah, exactly. And then Breath of the Wild came out and that became, that became the untouchable number <laughs> one. And then Zizzy the Kingdom came out and that became the untouchable number one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Street Fighter 2 is on this list. Um, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I think he's done well to get to, to, to 14. By the way, there was more than one rendition of Street Fighter 2. There were tons of these games. Yeah. Shadow of the Colossus on this list and pretty high too. Can't say I've played it so I can't really comment. Mass Effect. Well, I mean, the, the yeah, uh, legendary edition. Yeah, yeah legendary I'll edition. I'll accept that. Mass Effect is a big game. Oh, uh, the, oh Halo. Halo. Really, at number eleven? Oh, okay. So I would, I, I would say like Halo Reach was at like number seventy-five or something. But, but like yeah, that. keep this in mind. Halo over Gears of War. Halo over Half-Life. Halo over GoldenEye 007. Ah. 
I mean, I get there was loads of, I get, I get Halo was a big thing. I love Halo, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But at number 11, I'm not too, I mean, top 25, yes. Top 50, yeah. But, you know, like, uh, top, just scratching the top 10. I'm not entirely sure how to feel about that. All right. So that is it for the uh, Empire's top 100. Which one did we think was better? GQ or Empire? Oh, no. This list is way better. I agree. This, this is way better. This isn't a contest. Like a, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that where we go? You know, here's the top ten of all the top tens that we've all done. Of all, so, you know, are we, is that is that is that is that going to be like our end of the year video? Here's yeah. the top ten of all the top tens that we've done. Like you know, yeah. join us and see what you think and see how far out of our minds we can really go. <laughs> Oh goodness gracious! Okay, we're two and a half hours into this podcast. All right, right let's now, let's so, uh, okay. So let's move on. Let's uh, go for it. Okay, so we're finally going to be releasing a new episode of Dream Machine pretty soon after 100 years. And it's the episode you've all been bugging us about, which is Boston Boots: The Last Wish. Now, the story behind this is that I saw Boston Boots: The Last Wish. I think I saw it in theaters. You I did. I did. And uh, but then, obviously, you know, Patricia got really, really busy with her new job. So unfortunately, we didn't get an opportunity to go out and see Boston Boots: The Last Wish. However, we have now finally got there because she. She had to sit on a plane and had nowhere else to go and there was the screen in front of her so she had to watch it and she did <laughs> yes i did and oh man we talked about 2022 being like a good year for dreamworks i mean i was saying that um you know it might have been my favorite movie of 2022 but you know now that i've seen puss in boots the last wish and what it was able to deliver I mean, it might be a contender, to be quite honest. Uh, well, they, I, I, how long were, Dre were DreamWorks sitting on this movie? About I mean, a decade. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so, like, I'm really glad to see Antonio Banderas come back. And by the way, we're just going to give you, like, a small preview of this. We're not going to do Dream Machine over here right now. We've already got, like, two and a half hours into this episode already. Yeah, so, so okay, let's talk about what, how we felt about the original Puss in Boots. We were saying that it was a pretty average film, especially since we were burned yeah, out like, from the, all the Shrek movies. The, the one thing I'll say about Puss in Boots, the original movie, is that you really had to remind me on some of the stuff that happened in that like the fact that Humpty Dumpty was the villain and yep. like you know the fact that everything else happened in that and then movie. we had like um you know Hansel and Gretel who were kind of like the side characters yeah yeah like you know it's just it was uh, unfortunately you know for me personally the original Puss and Boots movie uh, was a little bit of a forgettable experience in some places don't get me wrong there were some emotional moments in that movie and everything yeah sure especially I mean, the fact that you know, he, when he when Puss was disappointing his mother that was obviously was a gripping oh, thing oh yeah as well. sure and, and when you have like that whole like connection with between him and Humpty Dumpty where there were like raised in the same orphanage and then you know you had the scene where you know he was able to get the bell and you know then there was like the egg and all that kind of stuff and you were thinking like wow you know this is the opportunity for them to kind of have like that brother relationship that they used to have before but you know all the other little things here and there just kind of made it like very underwhelming and you would think like something as action-packed as Puss in Boots would be able to bring that in but, but we're gonna, let me say this once we get into this dream machine I can guarantee you this is a refreshing change of pace oh yeah so let's go over the last wish from the very beginning when we saw the trailer we knew that we were going to be hooked with it because the animation style has changed we talked about this when we, we saw the bad guys in which you know a person who worked on spider-verse was able to work on the bad guys and we can see it from the scene the the, the 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 style of the movie that it was absolutely unique and refreshing for a dreamworks movie and the same thing happens with puss and boost the last wish in which they carried on that same art style and it looks great by the way they were able to play off with the colors 
characters and with the designs. It is a really, really beautiful film to look at on a major big screen. And also, I really like the story on this in which like Puss is on his, you know, ninth and last life and he finds out about the wishing star. Huh, interesting. We have a, a wishing star where if you're able to make a wish on it, anything can come true where he wants to wish for nine more lives. And, you know, he meets up with um, Kitty Softpaws again. And then we have another companion named Perrito, who, um, you know, he's kind of like wants to be a... Uh, a, what was it? What, uh, he wants to be like a um, a therapy dog or something. Uh, yeah, he does, and so like so he ends up with that. And also we get uh, you know uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears in this as well. Yep. And also we uh, for some reason we get you know as our main antagonist we get you know uh, death. Uh, well, not death. No, the uh, the guy who basically. Oh, Jack Horner. Jack Horner. Yeah. Well, which I mean, is, technically, uh, there's two villains in this. We have death, and well, we have. Jack I'm Horner. going to have a discussion with you on that because I think Jack Horner is our main villain, but I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think uh, my interpretation of death is, and uh, we'll talk about that in uh, Dream Machine. So, uh, sure, we can. Yeah, we'll have an interesting discussion on that, no doubt. But uh, anyway, before uh, we get into that, I mean, obviously, we'll have Dream Machine, so we'll talk in more depth about yeah, that. Yeah, well, we'll talk more in depth with that, but I have to say that the story was much more interesting than the first one. The characters were much more interesting than the first one, and it actually brought up some really interesting parallels of like appreciating life and what is your purpose and. Um, you know, what do you want in terms of your wish and what are the means that you need to get to in order for you to accomplish it? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that that was like really interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, Dream Machine is going to discuss all of that. So I don't think we should let any more out yeah, besides let, that. So, yeah, yeah. let's just. We're, we're Dream Machine and so we'll get on with doing that. Yes. And finally, something unexpected happened in a Nintendo shareholders meeting. Uh, it was disrupted by a very uh, uh, unhappy Splatoon fan. Yeah, so according to at Twitter at N Styles, who attended the annual shareholder meeting for Nintendo, apparently during a meeting's Q&A session, a fan of Splatoon 3 was very loudly ranting about how there was very little customization options for male characters compared compared to female characters. And the fan was unhappy with it and was talking to Nintendo president Shuntaro Fukukawa. And it was basically saying to him, you're going on for too long. The request was ignored. He kept on ranting. Eventually, when the rant was over, uh, Furukawa basically said, thank you for our interest in playing our game. We appreciate your valuable opinion. And apparently, he paid $3,500 in shares just so that he can be able to complain about this. Um, I can't. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a beggar's belief, doesn't it? Like, you know, you pay so much money to like, you know, go like on this insane run. You know, what he said there, you know, was only really needs to be like a three to five second question don't you agree like you know we're just asking uh, why is it that uh, you know uh, male characters don't have as much customization as female characters and then after that you could have easily just let him answer the question and then that would have been you know uh, you would have got an answer about why like you know the guy who would uh, I mean we uh, um, I, mean, I don't know what, exactly what we said about the uh, the F-Zero uh, guy who uh, went who paid the amount of shares and then went on to ask about you know why is there been any F-Zero games recently and uh, so I mean like uh, but you know 
know, he managed to keep his question quite short and, uh, and simple. And then obviously it was up to Nintendo to explain themselves. And obviously we ended up explaining that on the show. So, I mean, the fact that he went on like his mad rants, I mean, what was he expecting really? Like, you know, I, I'm really surprised he didn't get kicked off the call because of that. Like, yeah. I probably imagine he probably paid a lot of money to obviously, you know, be involved in all that. But quite frankly, I just think that it's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm, in uh, fact, you know, um, he thing. actually, the, the person who actually did this confessed to what happened on Twitter. Um, so this is what he said. At the Nintendo shareholders meeting, I complained about the current cold treatment of Splatoon boys, commanders, high color, city emotes, etc. Halfway through, I was told there are other people I want to ask. So the second half took longer than planned, but I managed to tell them the first and second are what I told you. The third is what I showed, which uh, he has pictures, by the way. Uh, then he says, uh, going over to the next bit of the, the tweet, he said, I sent Nintendo letters many times, but they didn't seem to improve. When I bought stocks, I was always short of tens of thousands of dollars. My parents asked me not to get involved in consumer finance. As soon as I bought 40,000 organic EL type switch with a credit card, I immediately sold it to GEO for 25,000 to raise money. And then he said, I've been told many times I've been really hurt by boys' cold shoulders, and I've seen other people feel the same way. I guess he meant by the cold shoulder, but this is how uh, they translated it by, uh, you know, from the Twitter. Um, I, this is why I did it with regret of, um, this is why I did it with the regret of doing it rather than the regret of not doing it. Uh, also, the 551 meat bun I bought at the Kyoto station on the way home was delicious. Right. Okay, then. Well, uh, quite frankly, I highly doubt that Nintendo is going to take this guy seriously. You know, like, I just think that's a... I guarantee you, I think we're probably going to see an F-Zero game before we see, you know, uh, <laughs> more customizations for male characters in Splatoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't you agree? Yeah. And um, follow... And also, let's see what we got. Um, the incident... Yeah, they were saying about the incident happened last year where somebody bought, uh, you know, the uh, you know basically a lot of shareholder mo- uh, money so that they can ask Nintendo to request for an F-Zero game. So, yeah, I guess, um, you know, for Japan, you know, all of these people are willing to buy thousands of dollars worth of, uh, you know, stocks and bonds and investments just so that they can be able to ask them, hey, why aren't we getting this? Why aren't we getting that? Yeah, it's a way. It's kind of like he's a double-edged sword because yeah, one you get to like you know probably have a bit of a say in like how the how the business should uh, you know go into a particular direction, but at the same time like you know you're kind of endorsing you know going Nintendo's business practices by by buying shares in it and hoping that it's going to make money. You know, like, so, like, uh, I mean, in a way, it's uh, kind of hard to, like, justify, you know, your, um, you know, buying shares explicitly just to, just to request things because at the same time, like, you're sort of endorsing uh, Nintendo's current business model at the moment. So they don't need to, like, you know, uh, listen to it on board to your, unless you're going to be, like, regular contributors as a shareholder to uh, Nintendo's, you know, business. I, I highly doubt that, you know, going on, buying shares and then just asking you a random question and then obviously probably selling it at a later date is probably not going to help you all that much. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I don't know all that much in business, really. Like, you know, we're 80s and 90s kids who, like, you know, just do a podcast. So, like, what do we know about business? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that is it for this bumper episode, I have to say, of uh, Aaron and Patricia. And uh, by the way, I wanted this to be a big episode because, obviously, this is going to be, you know, uh, more another time until, you know, me and Patricia are going to be you know, on separate continents again. And uh, then, uh, but hopefully she's going to come back for Christmas. Hopefully. Hopefully. And so, yeah, hopefully that's going to be a thing. And uh, so, uh, who knows, maybe come Christmas, maybe we'll do some Christmas specials, maybe. Oh, that'd you know, be great. 
see if we can get some of the stuff like that. But uh, I've already that's going to be it for Aaron and Patricia for, for her being here live in the Let's Play room here for here in the UK. Uh, but uh, we will be back as normal next week. But uh, I just want to say to my beautiful fiance right here, it's been an absolute pleasure having her here. It has been an absolute pleasure as well. And uh, yeah, that should be it for our main topic. But if you want to stick around for the spoiler section on Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, then um, yep, stick around if you've seen the episodes. And if not, then we will see you next week when I'm back in America and Aaron's still here in the UK and we'll be covering a whole bunch of crazy nonsense uh, from video games and movies and TV shows and what have you. Yeah. But until then, uh, if you can stick around for the spoiler section, then stick with us. But if not, we will see you next week. All right, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, going once, going twice, going three times, and we are officially in spoiler territory. So this is the season finale for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, and I do have to say, OMG. OMG, indeed. Now, we want to give off an apology for last week's episode because we posted a live reaction of what we thought of Coney Island Baby as opposed to just doing a regular discussion. But I'm sure for those who already knew, if you tune into Aaron and Patricia, uh, we did record like over two hours of that episode of Aaron and Patricia but then of course Audacity had to glitch out and we had to record the whole thing over again and then we decided to record our reactions to it as opposed to just talking about it like we would normally do but yeah we did enjoy Coney Island Baby and of course that ending left it off where maybe the Beyonder knew something about Mimi that would be followed up with next week and OMG issues one and two did that with strides yeah I was very surprised at the villain that we got. So uh, the villain that we have in this is uh, someone who used to work with the uh, original Moon Girl, and that is that's what OMG stands for, apparently. Yeah, in, it's in original this. Moon Girl. It doesn't stand for OMI. Oh yeah, so we get more of like some backstory of that, and uh, then uh, we uh, we cut back to uh, you know Moon Girl today, you know the uh, current Moon Girl. Yes, and uh, she's fighting off basically the bad guys that this guy sends off to basically you know capture the uh, uh, you know the machinery that uh, you know Moon Girl had, and uh, also to you know try and be defeat Moon Girl herself. But uh, obviously that failed. And then we get the introduction of S.H.I.E.L.D., which uh, yes. was quite a bit of a surprise. So um, so we basically get uh, the uh, agent, I think it was Emma... M Maria M Helm. Maria Helm. So she's introduced into this, and so um, she uh, now has uh, the contact of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., effectively. And uh, also they have some backstory on basically this... Um, the original Moon Girl, which uh, they want to share with her. Unfortunately, uh, the bad guys come and basically, you know, attack Shield. A ballsy move, in my opinion. Yes. Like, you know, I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised this won't get the attention of Nick Fury. Like, you know, it's like, you know, hey, uh, some oh yeah, some guy just broke into Shield and like stole like uh, some really, you know, uh, important material. Like, probably control the fate of the world. Like, you know, yeah, no biggie. <laughs> but you know, so apparently that happened. So, um, but then um, we are when she goes back, uh, we. Have have probably the most shocking reveal I think of the entire show and that is that apparently Mimi is the original Moon Girl. That's right. That is just... I mean, I guess there were hints that were kind of dropped throughout the show, which, you know, like... Uh, I mean, I had seen a slight spoiler that kind of, like, indicated that Mimi might have been the original Moon Girl, but I didn't really believe it at first, because, like, I really wanted to, like, be surprised. I really thought it was either going to be a villain. I thought it was going to be, like, you know, maybe it might be, like, another character. Maybe, like, the professor in Haley's on it, like, you know, uh, where she probably helps out Moon Girl, like, you know, reappears at some point. Maybe she, like, you know, is going like, through the whole Captain 
America phase where she's like she still starts in stasis and then she's like you know uh, uh, Moon Girl activates the portal and she comes out of stasis I don't know uh, I thought she might have been lost somewhere but no yeah yeah kind of uh, like how in Gravity Falls in which they were able to find Stanford yeah. trapped in by you know by um, by Bill Cipher in another dimension for who knows how long yeah exactly and so um, the fact that um, you know it ends up being Mimi that is quite a surprise to be quite honest but mind you given the fact that uh, there was some uh, hints that you know she was kind of catching on to the fact that she thought that uh, Lunella was Moon Girl and uh, you know she was she gave her all, uh, you know plenty of opportunities in season one to say is there something that you want to tell me and uh, so in Lunella was really conflicted about whether she should tell her or not you know and so for obvious reasons you of know, course yeah so um, Mimi finally finds out that uh, you know uh, you know uh, Lunella is Moon Girl and vice versa, and that whole thing just you know uh, breaks the minds of like everybody involved. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but so before they can actually do anything, uh, our uh, villain finally makes his reveal. Yeah. So uh, his name is Morlack, Morlack. and he is in uh, he is the leader of this organization known as the Enclave, where is a bunch of like um, guys dressed up as bees shooting off lasers, and the reason why they're trying to find moon girl the original moon girl or omg is because uh she had the plans for the dimensional portal that was going to be used so that they can be able to like you know conquer everything and learn more uh, information about it and then unfortunately the people behind the organization that they were working for you know they wanted to take all the credit and morlack and moon girl were fired from their jobs and basically were you know going to be erased from history from all the hard work that they did and Morlack was not happy with it whatsoever. And so uh, he, he decided to present the dimensional portal over to like this main executive. The, the portal goes completely wrong, drags everybody into the dimensions, including like the main executive and, you know, the person who was going to steal all the credit. And so he became in charge of Enclave and Moon Girl saw that he was becoming corrupted, that, you know, he wanted to get attention. He wanted to be the one to get all the recognition kind of like Charles Muntz from up and then Moon Girl decided, okay, I'm not going to let this guy that I worked with for so long, you know, go into this crazy schizophrenic mode where he just wants nothing but power and recognition. And so she decides to blow up the dimensional portal and she runs away in hiding, hoping that she would never be discovered by Morlack again. And she succeeded for decades because, you know, that's when she met up with her husband-to-be over at the rolling rink. They had a son, the son got married, and then eventually we got Lunella. And so that is how we saw the backstory of the original Moon Girl. And then we have Morlag who captured both Lunella and Mimi so that he can be able to get the plans for the dimensional portal. And we even left it on a cliffhanger with like Devil being completely injured and Moon Girl and Mimi were, you know, in the truck going over to the secret hideout. And then Lunella was able to escape. Mimi, you know, decided to stick behind so she can be able to wrong the mistakes that she did decades ago. And then it left it off with an explosion from the lab. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so um, that was a great way to leave it, I thought, you know, at least for like, you know, ending like the first part of all of it. And uh, quite frankly, I just think, you know, what a mind-blowing episode that we had. Like, this is on par with, um, you know, the, um, the the before the season finale of season one of The Owl House, I thought. Like, you know, it really went it really went there uh, with that. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced right now. I think, you know, uh, if compared to uh, uh, Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, comparing to Dexter's Laboratory, I prefer Moon Girl. 
world ever dinosaur now mm-hmm. i really do i think you know lanella is such a relatable character in all of this and you know like uh, you know so much to take on you know just for a young girl of the, of, of that age you know where uh, so, so much uh, going on and um i i just think that uh, you know um the fact that you have like uh, you know uh, by the way the whole uh music says your fighting scene that we've seen like you know throughout the show like you know a uh, moon girl doesn't win at this like you know she's uh effectively you know um you know defeated uh, defeated yeah exactly so like uh, it's just uh that whole bit where i thought was incredible and so then we finally move on to issue two of omg where you know i always called i thought that devil dinosaur was going to survive that yeah. explosion so i mean like uh i i wasn't really too too about that by the way the beyonders whole explanation for like you know oh did you watch mr you know the first uh, episode he does like the whole paper mache kind of like you know uh, description of like how it all worked how omg but issue one works. I've always quite hilarious, really, because you thought that the Beyond would do something a bit more elaborate than that, but he didn't. <laughs> it was basically just like a like a kindergartner's kind of like way of explaining what happened in issue one. Yeah, and then we have um, Casey coming in alongside with Devil Dinosaur, and she's asking Lunella, "Hey, what happened?" And then when um, you thought that okay, she's going to explain it again, and then we like the, uh, the Beyonder comes in and says, "Oh, you already know this part." Is so he rewinds and fast forwards everything of the things that we saw in episode one and then when he gets to the point in which like okay they're we're gonna go back on track he pushes play yeah and uh, i mean then uh, casey usually reacts to the fact that mimi is actually the original moon girl yes so um the, you know so moon girl's got nothing now she's eventually just like got herself and like uh, her own like you know uh, her own wits about her and uh, also devil dinosaur is currently waiting outside because everything is destroyed so uh then uh, casey brings out the uh, the stealth suit which uh, she's designed and uh, I mean like uh, I think it's really cool that Casey is getting so much uh, development in all of this like you know she's uh, um, you know learning from like videos she's like you know getting better at her craft of like you know uh, uh, hyping Moon Girl you know uh, giving Moon Girl even her own even her own suits or even her own sometimes even her own gadgets as well mm-hmm. to like be able to like you know complete a mission and stuff Casey's really becoming like a really integral part of the show of the show now yeah. which I really think was gonna I, I really thought that we were gonna like uh, you know not get this much until we got to like season 2 maybe season three maybe yeah. mid-season two maybe but the fact that we're starting to get all this development towards the end of season one i think is really is really great yeah it kind of reminds me of how richie was alongside with the virgil aka static shock but he didn't become like a major part in fighting alongside with static and he didn't get the uh, persona of gear until like a lot what, what about season two or three or something yeah exactly and so like uh, mind you the problem is that you know with disney at the minute is like you know a show could be cancelled like you know even after season one that's true so, like they've got by the way it's a pretty bold thing that they basically left the the way that they did we'll get to that in a minute but uh, so um the moon girl casey and devil dinosaur now have to save mimi so uh, they have to figure out where where she's gone but you know it's not not been done with gadgets it's been done basically with their own wit and cunning effectively so yes. like uh, uh casey puts together this whole board of like you know where everything has been where have we seen the bees where have we seen this that and the other and uh, then they find out that the um the machinery that they that they use some of the diamonds that they use I've been carved out of like an old material from like the 19th century, which points to a house uh, located outside of uh, outside of Manhattan. So mm-hmm. um, they then go to the house, they kick some, they kick some ass, and uh, then they finally get into there. And uh, you know, but Mimi is now you know got a problem because she can't abandon what she's doing because if she does, then Mar- then Morlock is going to basically harm her family, which she doesn't want to ha- see happen. So she goes ahead with like you know building the building the system, and uh, so uh, moon- both of the Moon Girls. Are 
they're going to try and stop Morlock somehow, but uh, he ends up activating the machine and ends up bringing you know, some more of these, uh, you know, these monsters through, right? And everything. So, um, you know, so they go they go through like this whole, you know, once again they go through like the whole like you know play the music, kick kick ass scene, and everything like that. And uh, but uh, funny enough, like you know they uh, again don't really succeed like in the end. I mean, obviously you know Morlock gets pulled into the portal when they reactivate it again, but the problem is that he's overpowered it. So uh, the only way that they can shut it off is basically it has to be shut from both sides of the uh, of the system. Uh, and so Lunella, um, you know, you know, to Mimi's you know shock, uh, goes through the portal and they both shut the uh, the, the portal off over at this over on the same side. So Lunella is now stuck on the other side of the dimension. Yes, and that's how the, the, the and that's this, how they leave it. That's how they left it. That I, I imagine if they canceled Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on that. Yeah. But they're not. We're all going to get season two, by the way. Yes, and by the way, I have the article up right now on what's going to happen for season two. So we're going to be having a new villain in this who is Molecule Man. And according to the description of Molecule Man, it says this. He is a powerful being with the ability to manipulate non-living organic matter. Often feeling like there is no place for him, he escaped to a whole new planet and uses his powers to create an incredible world of natural wonder, soon making it a popular destination for aliens and beans across the multiverse and he's going to be played by edward james olmos so who you may know as agent robert gonzalez on agents of shield and he's also really uh, connected to the beyonder because that's who his antagonist is wow that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I think the Beyonder now is starting to kind of turn into more like an anti-hero, don't you think? Like, yeah. he was a villain like, one of the episodes, one or two of the episodes. But, you know, he wasn't, like, uh, you know, trying to, like, you know, defeat Moon Girl. He was trying to make Moon Girl stronger in some way. Right. Confronting her fears, you know, making her think about more about, like, you know, out of the side of the box and everything like that. Like, you know, and also the Beyonder's our narrator, basically, for the show, uh, effectively. So, like, you know, if anything, like, you know, he uh, he may, we may not agree with some of the things that he does, but good grief, does he get, does he get Moon Girl going, you know, uh, when? When, uh, he, when he appears. Yeah, but. and I think that he's going to be integral to season two. Not only because of Molecule Man, but also because Moon Girl is on her own. She doesn't have Devil Dinosaur. She doesn't have any gadgets. She's We don't even know what the dimension looks like. It, it could be like um, you know a jungle. It could be like maybe a, a planet, uh, a dimension well, that has like, technology. As always season concepts out, we have no idea what we're looking at. Exactly. Really. We have no idea what we're looking at. Uh, by the way, we have not seen any of the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur comics, so we don't know. Yeah, exactly. We haven't read any of the comics. Uh, we haven't. Uh, they actually did a really nice callback to uh, the the comic where they were talking about Professor Kirby referencing Jack Kirby, the creator of Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. So yeah, that was actually a really nice, um, you know, homage. But other than that, we don't know anything about this. We're going at this completely blind. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, I, I guess we can speculate. I guess at this point, about you know what we could essentially see. So like, uh, I mean, um, dare I say maybe this might be um, Moon Girl going through like you know maybe a, a summer Saran moment. Maybe like you know maybe she probably goes there. And like finds like you know a cool super suit that she can probably wear, like you know, start like, you know really like maybe a more powerful version of Moon Girl, maybe. Or maybe her and Morlock are going to have to be forcefully to team up together so that they can be able to get back. I mean, we saw Mimi is going to be fixing the portal, but I wouldn't be surprised if Lunella tries to find a way to get back herself. Yeah, like uh, I mean, maybe it could be like you know a th- thoughts on accelerator kind of thing for like you know Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, where basically they have to build like two ad- identical machines and like you know then activate them somehow at the same time, and like you know maybe she ends up being like a massive coincidence. 
coincidence that they end up doing it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But then saying that, then there would have to be some kind of communication between you know Mimi and Moon Girl, or sorry, Lunella. So like uh, you know who knows? Maybe there might be something that goes along with that. Also on top of that as well, I mean if this goes on for like a long period of time, Mimi's gonna have to explain Moon Girl's absence somehow. Yeah, exactly. Like she's still going to school, and you know uh, how's she gonna explain this to her parents? I mean, there's no creepy losing this whole thing, is there? So, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be really interesting because uh, in that ep- in the two episodes, uh, even Morlock even explained to um, to Mimi that you know your family doesn't know anything about this, do they? But it's true because she's never told her husband, she's never told her son and her daughter-in-law, and now she's gonna have to because Lunella's gone. Well, I mean, here's the thing, like, uh, maybe somehow Mimi will probably, I mean, um, who knows, maybe she might, like, inve- uh, you know, build, like, you know, maybe, a, like, a, a Lunella kind of, like, robot, maybe, like, you know, that's kind of, like, takes, it does the mannerisms of, of, of Lunella. I'm not or, too sure. Or maybe she'll, like, probably give an excuse as, like, oh, you know, her and Casey are going to be spending some more time yeah, together. You know, like, you know, apparently, you know, the, both these moon girls are very alike, you know, you can see how Mimi freaks out every time, like, you know, something, you know, untoward is happening. And in fact, on top of that, we've actually learned that Mimi's actually been covering for moon girl this entire time. That's right. Like, you know, like, and she found out, like, you know, from the very beginning that, you know, Lunella was Moon Girl. Like, I mean, you know, we, adopt- we kind adopting a name, you know, like, uh, even she was even washing her, like, a super suit when, uh, you know, she she wasn't around. And, you know, <laughs> Lunella's like, oh, I'm wondering why it was smelling like April Fresh. <laughs> I mean, we kind of knew that from episode two when um, Moon Girl first saved Lower East Side. And then we had that look from Mimi. It's like, yeah, I kind of had a feeling that, you know, Lunella was Moon Girl this entire time. I mean, it, it kind of, like, you know, put the pieces together about, like, you know, she kind of knew, even when she was, like, you know, cleaning around her room, she saw the don't pull button that led to her lab. She was even, like, cleaning the lab, you know, while, uh, you know, Moon Girl was away. I, I, I had a feeling that she knew all along. But the fact that Mimi was Moon Girl, I had no idea about this. They kept it pretty uh, secretive. Yeah, and to be honest with you, that, I mean, the whole thing was kind of brilliant, to be honest with you. Yes, I yeah. do agree. I, I think I think that was kind of cool, and uh, that you know, like she's got a supportive grandmother, like you know, who wants to who wants to see you know, and you know, she's not freaking out of the fact that you know, uh, you know, because she knows how strong Lunella is. Like you know, you've seen a she's seen a fight, she's like seen like the whole thing, so she's confident she knows what she's doing. You know, like you know, she doesn't want to like say, oh no, I don't want you to do this because I'm worried about you or anything like that. Like you know, she's very supportive. I mean, and, of course she would be supportive, considering that we saw in previous episodes of the series that Moon Girl has become a model to Lower East Side New York. Yeah, well, let's be honest with you, Patricia. Like you know, if your grandmother found out like you're a superhero, like beating up bad guys, what do you think she would probably think? Uh, about she that? would she would probably be really concerned, admittedly. Yes, and I think that's probably what a lot of grandmothers around the world probably would be because their family. At the but end the, of the but day. to be fair, I never had a grandmother like Mimi, where she was a scientist and she was really you know like uh, uh you be able to build like um, dimensional portals. So <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, okay, then I you know like uh, you probably probably win out that one, but. Uh, you know, like, uh, so, I mean, the great thing I think that uh, Lunell has got for her is the fact that, you know, she's got, you know, uh, Mimi on the other side who could potentially try and bring her home. So there's that. So, I mean, like, uh, interesting that you know, the thing about season two, you know, because we knew the season two of the Owl House got very dark it at did. one point. I mean, is Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur going to go the same direction, do you think? That's a good question. And also, is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur going to be more story driven? Because most of the episodes were episodic. It has kind of has been, you know, when you really think about it, because, like, you know, uh, there's been some episodes where, you know, uh, you know, unless you, like, watch other episodes, you wouldn't really know, like, you know, eventually what's going on. Like, you know, the other a- appearance of the Beyonder, you know, like, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, um, uh, those middle things, began, like, Mimi also catching on to the fact that, so, you know, she was Moon Girl. Obviously, we need those episodes sort of kind of like, you know, yeah, those and as well. Casey also, would... the fact that, you know, you see Lunella kind of, like, evolve over time. Like, you know, there's times, like, you know, at the very beginning of the of the show that you wouldn't imagine, you know, Lunella was going to be able to do this. But if you, unless you've, like, watched this episode, watched that episode, you would then sort of have a believability 
ability that Moon Girl can do these things. So, in a way, I mean, like, uh, I mean, this show has been episodic, you know, admittedly, but you can tell that there's been some inklings, you know, that, you know, the people who wrote the uh, the episodes didn't really want it to kind of be like that. They want it to, to be kind of like a story-driven li- linear show, but obviously, you know, that's not what needs, that's not what Disney wants anymore. Unfortunately, they want these episodic shows that can be played out of order. And, exactly. Uh, you know, which yeah. I, I think sucks. Personally, I think I don't. I don't think that uh, you know. I've said this. I'll say. I'll say you know this a thousand times. I think it's the wrong idea. I think you create a show, you create an episode, you then tell the story in that episode. You create then you create a bit a bit of buzz, like they did in Gravity Falls, like they did on Amphibia, like they did in uh, the, in the Owl House. You create a bit of buzz and get people talking on social media about what's going to happen in the next episode. And those shows, I think, succeed better than other ones. Yeah, I, even though that I have heard people talking about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur when it first came out, I haven't really seen a consistent buzz on the internet about it. I mean, I've seen people talking about the show. But not uh, as much as, say, The Owl House. Or yeah, yeah, no, admittedly, not as much as The Owl House. Anyway, that's what concerns me about when The Owl House actually ended, because, like, you know, what's going to be the show that's going to carry Disney animated television? You know, uh, television, uh, DTV, you know. I'm not sure at this point, but then again, um, I think that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur has done a really good job of, like, upping up the ante and, you know, putting in little pieces of what the characters are going through from episode to episode and eventually leading up to the point that it is. I mean, we saw where Lunella started. We saw about her struggling to become Moon Girl, about how her actions are able to play off towards other people, and then eventually her conquering herself so that she can be able to um, be strong and brave enough so that she can be able to fight off even more dastardly bad guys. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, let's be honest about this and, you know, uh, all respect to, like, Rebecca, who, you know, we really do uh, appreciate having her on the show and everything like that, but, like, you know, how many people are talking about Haley's on it at the moment? Um... Well, other than that first episode, I haven't really heard a buzz about There's it. There's a meme that's currently going around the Owl House Reddit at the minute where they basically take, uh, you know, uh, the professor, they take Haley, and they take Beta, and basically they put underneath, you know, like, oh, we've seen this before, and they put uh, Luz, King, and Eda, like, on like on the other side. And so, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of Owl House fans are sort of in agreement with this. This is just another, like, you know, attempt for them to try and, you know, do something with like, that looks on par with, like, the Owl House. Uh, effectively, and so, like, uh, you know, some Owl House fans aren't really taking the Haley's on it at the minute. They just want more Owl House, if anything. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're not going to get that anytime soon. Well, as well as the fans are saying that, you know, like, and so, you know, uh, that is, unfortunately, another ev- bit of evidence that Disney, unfortunately, are tone-deaf to their fans. And uh, we've, we were talking about that before with uh, Pixar. We're talking Now we're talking about it with, uh, you know, with Haley's on it, and now we're talking about it with this. You can't ignore these signs. Disney can't ignore these signs. Uh, effectively, like it's uh, this is going to be a massive problem for them unless they give something that is really going to give like a massive buzz to Disney fans to justify keeping their Disney Plus subscriptions to justify them going into the theater to go see a Disney product. I mean, like uh, they're going to have a problem. Yeah, really I mean, right now, even though that we've heard some positive reviews from shows like Kiff and The uh, uh, Ghost of Molly McGee's uh, second season has actually uh, generated a lot more buzz on social media, saying that it was really, really good. And also- well, I mean, the reason for that is because obviously now you've got this really interesting storyline with Molly McGee and obviously with uh, you know with with her, her new like you know on and off boyfriend, you know, like the fact that she's in love with this guy, but then at the same time.
time he's a ghost hunter and so obviously doesn't like ghosts all that much. Right. So, I mean, like, uh, it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic. But also, on top of that, I mean, uh, we have to talk about a little bit about Molly McGee. I mean, like, I'm not really somewhat in favor of this ship as of yet because really, like, uh, if you're going to, like, date this guy, but at the same time, like, he really hates your best friend on the prejudices of, like, you know, he, he hates ghosts and stuff like that. I've got to be honest with you, this is a toxic relationship. Like, you know, that's just my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that relationship. I know you're not seeing it yet. I have still. not seen it at all. So, I mean, like I said, I'm just finishing up with Big City Greens. I finished through all four seasons, and I really like the story that they were able to take with it, where, you know, we kind of started off with the Greens moving into the city after, like, being years in the country, after the uh, the, the failed uh, the farm had failed. And then we got to, like, get introduced to, like, new characters. We get the reintroduction of, um, you know, the, the Greens' mother, Nancy, after... You know, being in jail for so long. That, by the way, that's the reason why the mother wasn't shown in the first half of season one. Why was she incarcerated? The reason why she was incarcerated was because she was freeing cows from a dairy uh, factory and she wanted to set them free because she loved animals. Oh, she's an eco-activist then. Yeah, basically. something like that. She's an eco-activist. She loves animals. And so she set them free. The police caught her. She was locked up in jail for years. And then finally, she was able to do her time. She finished with jail. And then literally like the first episode that she's brought back, the kids decide that they wanted to free the animals from the zoo <laughs> because they felt like they weren't like their mother so yeah yeah good grief so like but uh, no 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 seriously um by the way to they, be honest with you I mean like that's yeah I tell you what with uh, all the environmental uh, you know uh, catastrophes that are currently happening right now and all the processes that are currently going right like that that character is going to be more relatable than you realize oh, I, I love Nancy by the way I, I, I my top three characters on Big City Greens are Tilly Nancy and um, I guess it's a toss up between Alice or Julia because because, I mean, Alice is the grandmother of the show. She's always a riot, you know, like, like the, the, the grumpy old lady characters. But I also, you know, like uh, Gloria, because Gloria, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's like the relatable young adult who is working at a coffee shop. She wants to move to Paris so that she can become an artist. And, you know, she's not able to because, you know, she comes from a rich family. She decided, I'm going to move to Big City Greens to make a life of myself. And she's failing at it. And it's really relatable. And I really like that character. Anyway, but we're talking about uh, Moon girl and devil dinosaur yeah so i mean like but i mean we can't wait for season two no we're really excited about season two and yeah. we're definitely gonna see that it's going to up the ante and i'm hoping that people will start talking about this show more because it's i mean i would say that it's there hasn't off, been a problem with season one there hasn't been i'm sure there's been some episodes admittedly that are a little bit weaker than others but admittedly every single time that we've seen an episode of this show it was able to improve introduce an, an interesting lesson that a lot of people can be able to relate to and watch and also it was able to bring in some really interesting um, action moments the music has been great by the way the entire soundtrack of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is up on Spotify uh, go listen to it it has a really nice mixture of like hip hop and R&B and even some mixtures between like you know 60s and 70s music even with some Yiddish music uh, for the the Bat Mitzvah episode yeah I mean my my biggest fear of the very, I mean, we'll also talk about this more in casual chats, won't we? When we uh, basically do season one, yes. but I mean, like, uh, I mean, but you know, my overall thing at the very beginning, my biggest fear is that you know, this was going to be Dexter's laboratory all over again, and uh, but uh, you know, you're gonna have like you know, Lunella who like you know, is uh, just like you know, way over her head in regards to like some of her inventions. And don't get me wrong, we actually did see you know, glimpses of that, like you know, she obviously needs to uh, overcome like her intelligence in some way, and uh, so I mean, there was that involved, but then I thought we were gonna have like, oh, here's Casey, like you know 
know, she doesn't really understand. She's a bit airheaded. You know, she doesn't really understand what she's doing. She pushes a button and gets everybody in trouble. And then Moon Girl has to save the day. And I thought, you know, I thought maybe, you know, they were going to get like this kind of Dexter and Dee Dee kind of like situation. But no, you know, like uh, Casey's strengths are, you know, obviously not in like, you know, the uh, the mind that Lunella has. And it's not about like, you know, technology or anything like that. It's about her strength of like, you know, being, you know, you know an introvert and like, you know, being able to uh, hype up, you know, Moon Girl. Like, you know, if anyway, she's a, she's a more positive version of Helga Pataki in Hey Arnold in a way. And I'm not saying that from a character perspective. I'm saying that from like, you know, uh, uh, an implementation perspective. Let me explain what I mean by that. So um, you have uh, Arnold, who is, you know, like a, a very neutral character. Basically, the, cre- the madness goes on around the character. Uh, but the one character that keeps you interested in the antics of Arnold and whether he's actually going to, you know, uh, be, you know, infatuated with Helga is that Helga sings his praises, says how amazing he is, even though he, ins- he insults uh, him in-, in front of it because obviously she's got, you know, mixed emotions about her feelings and also about her bringing on top of that as well. And uh, Helga works well as that as that element. And Casey, I think, is the form more positive. Now, she's, I'm not saying that she's in love with uh, Lunella. Who knows? Who knows where we might be in yeah, season exactly. two? I mean, like uh, that would be interesting if we ended up in that route but I mean like um, you know Casey is the loyal best friend she is the hype woman she tells you how good you know uh, Moon Girl is she puts it all over social media she you know uh, has like uh, all you know uh, the connections to like you know uh, make uh, Moon Girl as big as she is and becomes a big important on top of that as well she becomes helpful for Moon Girl because obviously we get the stealth suits at the very end of the show we get you know uh, the advice that she gives Lunella as well and uh, you know she gives you know a lot of positivity to this team, this trio team that we have with you know with uh, Moon Girl and with Casey and with Devil Dinosaur. Right. And Devil Dinosaur also brings his elements into all of this as well. So I mean, like uh, you know, thankfully there is uh, we can't really say that in this show. I mean, obviously you have like you know bad guys who come in and out, and uh, but you know besides that, like uh, you know there's not one character I can say is a throwaway character in this, at least within the main and within the supporting cast. I, you I, say? I do agree. I think that the um, things that we were able to see throughout this show and the characters we were able to see uh, play out in both Lunella and with Moon Girl's life was very instrumental to everything that we've seen up until this point. All 16 episodes are up on Disney Plus so you can go check it out for yourself and I think that for everything that we've seen up until this point it's gonna the ante is gonna go up from here and I'm hoping that they'll be able to develop even more of the characters like who's gonna protect Lower East Side, you know, now that Moon Girl is not going to be around anymore, is Casey going to step up and become the next? I, I Moon think Girl? they're going to play the convenience route and basically say, "Well, nothing's going on right now in the area. It's just going to be about Moon Girl and uh, about Mimi, and basically it's going to be like, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like you know Josie and the Pussycats. Like, you know, nothing's happening on Earth right now. We're going to go on a rocket ride and we're going to go to the <laughs> universe, and everything on Earth is just going to be perfectly fine. But Aaron, what about Rooney? Yeah, well, um, Rooney can. I don't know. <laughs> go away but you know like uh, as far as I'm concerned like you know I like the direction that Moon Girl and Dinosaur has gone in you know left a heck of a cliffhanger on season one and makes you really excited for season two you know like uh, and that should have been the show effectively like you know it should be one thing you know uh, do something exciting something that makes you exciting like about the uh, you know you know Coney Island Baby episode the fact that the Beyond is that something big's gonna happen to Mimi and yeah something big did happen to Mimi we got a lot of big things happened to Mimi but that should have basically been the way that the show could have 
going because then after you've gone through that episode it's gonna be like oh my god what's omg what's gonna happen in the next episode right you know like and that's what generates the social media traffic i think that's the reason why moon girl devil dinosaur suffered so- social media wise compared to the owl house because there's nothing really to generate talk about the next episode yeah i mean sure we could have argued about the bat mitzvah episode but again ghost of molly mcgee already did that stuff and we saw both of the episodes and while they played off a little bit differently um you know it kind of like um again was kind of like i've seen it done it kind of thing and again other than the first two episodes and the last two episodes none of the episodes really garnered a lot of social media buzz because there's nothing that kind of buzzed too that's the thing like you know it's just it's uh, i mean the, the the only times that moon girl devil dinosaur is like you know really generated buzz is when people are saying oh hey i can relate to this oh i can you know uh, that that's something i wasn't expecting oh something like that but you know like uh, but you know that we're go- even if the owl house had a really weak episode at least toa spoilers at least was there to like you know carry the carry you know to carry things on to say oh yeah like you know you got to tune into the next episode because we've just seen this yeah exactly i didn't see any like hashtag mg and dd spoilers exactly yeah and that's a problem in my opinion like you know they should that you know every show you know that disney should be doing that from here on because the standard's been set the owl house standard Effectively, or like, the Gravity Falls standard. Or the Gravity Falls standard, yeah. Like, uh, but unfortunately, now that era is over, and uh, now, I mean, not, I mean, not to put this on Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur or any other show for that matter, because you know, like, uh, but unfortunately, I think the standard has been met, and if uh, any of these other, these other Disney shows cannot meet that standard, you know, uh, forget what's going on with Pixar, forget what's going on with Disney generally. You know, like, you know, the, the, at least they had the fallback of saying, well, at least the animated shows are good. You don't have that, or, you know, or, you know, you, you're not going to justify keeping your Disney Plus subscription. And keep this in mind. Like you know, um, the as of this podcast, the economies are not doing very well. You know, in regards to America, in regards to uh, the UK, and regards to you know just globally, that you know the economies aren't doing very well, and the families are going to have to you know have or even you know young people for that matter are going to have to think very seriously about whether they want to keep their their streaming subscriptions or whether they're going to like start pirating movies again or like you know or getting their entertainment for free. And so you know that's going to be a big question they have. And they if they feel they look at their Disney Plus subscription and they say that um, they're there's nothing here for me. There's nothing there for me, or even for the Netflix, for that matter. They are going to go cancel my subscription or not renew my subscription at the end of the year because I just don't feel like it's worth it. And that's the problem that Disney have also got. Forget the um, the the creativity problem. Forget the marketing problems. Forget all of that. That is a problem that Disney have got right now, and they need to find an answer for it. PDQ uh, effectively, but. Until then, anyway, we're not here to fix Disney's problems. They can fix them themselves. We're just here to tell you basically what the problems are. Yeah, exactly. Okay, everybody. Well, that is it uh, for this episode. So thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, we will see you all next week. All right, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.